In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God, glory to thee, heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of truth, who art everywhere present, and fillest all things, O treasure of every good and bestower of life, come and dwell us, and cleanse us of every stain, and save our souls, O good one. Today's talk, I've decided to name it, What Do We Need to Know to Understand the Spiritual Deceptions of Our Times? There is no doubt that we live in a time where there are so many deceptions. And that's understandable because people have uh, rejected, one can say, Christ or lead a life which is not really according to the commandments. And the more we move away from Christ, the more one falls into deceptions. So what do we need to understand the spiritual deceptions of our times? Well, one thing is to have some knowledge of the Bible. We supply Bible, uh, New Testaments here, and some people here have been coming for a number of years, and it's quite pitiful that every time I ask someone, do they read the Bible, that they say, not much or not at all. But the Protestants, who we like to say, you know, they're far away and that they're, that they're not orthodox and that we're orthodox and we're proud that we're orthodox and all these things, we have to understand that perhaps on the last day that when we are judged and there's a Protestant next to us, then Christ is going to say, but you had the entire truth, you had the orthodox faith, you knew what the church fathers teach, you had saints, you've got the mother of God, you've got the, the, the mysteries of the church, you have the writings of the fathers, we've kept the traditions from the apostles onwards, we are the one holy Catholic Church. So Christ will say, but you didn't even read my word. So if you're not reading my word, 
how then will you know how to live? And I have to say that it's very serious for someone to reject, because in a way it's rejecting, the word of God, or to say I don't have time, when I've said a number of times, even if you read five minutes a day, that five minutes will give so much grace to the person and understanding, enlightenment, etc. If we've got time, as I said last week, to access our emails and voicemails, whatever you call those things on the phones, and everything else that people do today, and they've got, they, they cannot use the excuse, or all of us cannot use the excuse that we do not have time. So, a lot of times Orthodox people boast and they say, as I mentioned before, oh, we have the truth. And by saying that, if they don't say it in the correct spirit, we do have the truth. But if you're not saying it in the correct spirit, but you're saying it in a way which is that we are the best, or the person who's saying it, I am the best, I am orthodox, and everyone else who's not orthodox are doomed, or going to go to hell, all these ridiculous things. That is not really a spirit it's not really a good spirit. It's not a spirit of God. We have to learn how to say, yes, the Orthodox Church is the truth, but at the same time, not to have a pride and an arrogance and a lack of love that everyone else is doomed or everyone else is darkened. And the way we do that, the way I used to do it if that temptation came, is as follows. We say to ourselves, we have the truth, we know the correct things of the spiritual life, and if we don't do it, we will be condemned in a worse way than what anyone else will. If, for example, we don't read the Bible, we will be condemned. We don't read the lives of saints. So in other words, the, the judgment will be of higher standard for us on the last day. That's why you say, oh, how did the saints, if they, some of them did miracles and they had the truth and they were full of grace, but they never had that pride, that satanic pride where they would look down at others and say, oh, they don't have the truth. Why? Because they knew that being orthodox, that they would be judged in a stricter way than what the heretics will or those outside the church. When, you, when we absorb that into our heads and into our hearts, we begin to not look at the others, but more say, what's going to happen to me? And as St. Nikolai, the great Serbian saint, St. Nikolai Verimuj says, he said um, there, which is just what the Holy Father said, he said that an apostate Orthodox Christian or a lukewarm Orthodox Christian is worse than anyone who is not Orthodox. Christ says in the Revelations, that's the last book of the New Testament, Christ said he prefers hot or cold for a person to be either hot, that's hot meaning that he's leading a spiritual life and struggling and praying and things like that, or to be cold. In other words, completely have nothing to do with the church, meaning they one day can come to the church and become hot. However, listen to the words that Christ uses there which St. John wrote in his epistle. Those who are lukewarm 
God, Christ vomits out. That's how he refers to the lukewarm. Lukewarm are those who know what the truth is, don't want to pray much, don't want to come to church, don't want to read lives of saints, don't want to read the Bible, don't want to read the writings of the fathers, don't want to struggle with their passions, don't want to, or in a slack way, participate in the mysteries of the church, don't want to confess because they're embarrassed or proud, etc. That is what is called lukewarm. In other words, someone who is religious, as St. Paul says, they have a form of godliness, but it denies its power, meaning that they are religious on the outside, but in their hearts, they're not. And we have to examine, am I one of them? Are you one of them? All of us have to examine. When we do examine ourselves, I think we begin less and less and less to look at others. Now, why do I mention the Bible? Well, because I'm going to read a couple of uh, verses from different parts of the New Testament and one of the Psalms. And from then on, we'll make a few comments on that. Then we'll start the main part of the talk. The first thing is what St. Peter in his epistle writes. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What sober mean? It means be self-controlled, be um, fighting your passions, praying, watching your thoughts, be sober. Be careful, be watchful, watch out, look out, in other words, because the devil, who's your enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion. What does that mean? If we know about how some of you who watch these animal channels and things like that, how lions, they don't, a lot of times they come in a very sneaky way, slowly, 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 and pounce on the person. He doesn't show himself, because if he does then his prey will run away. Alligators, I think, they're, they're like that too. They, you go near the water for a little drink of water and at the end you don't need water because you've got no head because they come out suddenly without you, without you um, realising. So they, they, they prowl as well. But it's always in a secret way. So St Peter is referring to the devil as someone who's sneaky, conniving, sly, the next part is from Psalm 9. He lies in wait in a secret place, like a lion in his den. He lies in wait to seize upon the poor man, to seize upon the poor man when he draws him into his trap. Again, secret, waiting for someone to seize upon and draw him into his trap. Same as the first one, basically. Beloved, this is St. John now, the apostle. Beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets mean someone who passes himself as a saint, someone who does miracles. And it's quite sad when Orthodox Christians have no idea that or because someone can do a miracle or something miraculous has happened, something that looks like a miracle, that straight away we say, that's from God. That's pure ignorance. And that comes from a lack of understanding of our faith. It is inexcusable for someone to have that mistaken understanding of things. So we hear, like there's one fellow, as I said last time, 
some uh, Lebanese young boy who died, and then later on they say that all oil comes around his room and crosses form from the oil. And straight away, well, it must be from God because people are coming, people are changing, people are repenting, people are returning back to the church, the Catholic church. Same thing in the Orthodox church. Something could happen. And then people say it must be from God because people are changing. But that necessarily is not correct, as we'll see today in the talk. And he says here, the next one, St. Matthew, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. Some who will say that they're Christ. Well, we, we believe that Christ has already come. The Jews are waiting for him. False prophets. False prophets just means a prophet was someone who would give the law of God, would preach, would tell people to repent, and would do miracles to prove that he is from God, etc. as well. So that's what he says. So so Saint, sorry, not really. Saint Matthew writes this, but it's Christ who's saying, I made a mistake. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. I want all of us to go onto those words that will show great signs and wonders. Miracles, great things, unbelievable things. And I'll read you some of them in a, if soon. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. This will be more next week's next, next talk, that the Pharisees, being evil, were pestering Christ and saying, show us a miracle, show us a sign, show us a miracle. Because they said, oh, in, you know, in the Old Testament, that God let drop down the manna, which was like for food for them to eat in the desert and all these things. And even though Christ was doing miracles, that wasn't enough. They wanted something that was spectacular, something amazing, something that will make them go, wow, this is, this is a great thing. And this, St. Ignatius Branchinov says, is no, it's not a good thing for Orthodox Christians to seek these type of things. He sighed deeply. So after they asked him to show him a sign from heaven, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. So Christ says, no, I'm not going to stimulate your fantasy. I'm not going to stimulate your interest and all these things that you've got, your curiosity. No good. And I tell you a little secret. That's why it says that as we come more and more close towards the end of the world, which we don't know where it is, but they say that in the last time, some people say we're living towards the end, whether that's been 100 years, 200 years, I don't really know. But the point is we are living in, in, in times of apostasy. And the Holy Fathers say that miracles will be less so as to protect the Orthodox Christians because we are taught don't look for miracles. Look for humility. Look for the, the, the correct teaching, look for love, look for faith, look for those things. Don't look for miracles because the Christian miracles, the Orthodox Christian miracles will decrease, but the demonic ones will increase. So if both are going, if we have miracles from the Orthodox faith, a lot of them, and miracles from the demonic spirits, then people are going to get confused. So that's why the Holy Father says it's simple as this, just don't Look for them, reject them, leave them alone, unless ones that are said by the church. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. A person 
who's under the influence of the demons will not come to you and, sh- and the demon doesn't like to show himself as he is, basically. So whether he comes to you, as we saw last talk, as an angel of light, he's not going to come as himself, or if he brings others to you, who are forerunners of Antichrist, some people say like that, or those people who have got his energy, they're not going to come and show their true colours. I mean, people that showed their true colours, like Hitler, Stalin, there's a few like that. But even they, or Hitler in the beginning, showed that he's going to solve all these problems for the Germans, only to do what he did. But in general, the demons like to trick people. They come to you in sheep's clothing. A wolf can't go near the sheep. They'll run away. But if the wolf was to, if he could, put a sheep's um, a sheep wool on, him, on himself and pretend he's a sheep, then he's able to go close to them and he's able then to eat them whatever he wants to do. That's the same as them. They come in virtuous. They come with nice words. A lot of the words they use today is love, continual love. Love, love for this, love for that. Love justifies everything. Love justifies homosexuality. Love justifies abortions. Love justifies adultery. Love justifies anything and everything. See, it's all nice, nice words. Love, compassion, kindness. And they also, they also use a lot of these don't judge and all these type of things. By their fruit, you will recognise them, says Christ. You will know them by their fruit. They always will show something like we saw last talk when the devil appeared to the deacon when he deceived him. He began to have some little trouble. Always God gives something that will kind of bother you and say, something's not right there. Something's not right. So you will know them by their fruit. What was the fruit of that last time? It was that when the elder told the deacon, tell your angel, which was really the devil, tell your angel to say, O Theotokos, rejoice, which is what we just sang today at the end during the five loaves. And he said, oh, I'm not going to say that. That's not necessary. And then he got, then he showed himself. From their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What's the will of my Father? To do the commandments. To do the commandments. That's why Christ says, whoever does my will, whoever does my commandments, we will come and abide in that person. We, meaning the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, will come in the person. No commandments, no grace. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And these are the magic words. Well, not really magic, but people that are ignorant don't understand. Then I will tell them plainly, Christ says, I knew you not away from me, you evildoers. So it looks like here that not everyone who does miracles, it doesn't matter how great they are, that Christ will accept. And that's why he says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Get away from me, Christ will say, on the last day, ye who commit evil deeds. And they will say, but didn't we prophesy? Didn't we teach in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? That can mean those who are false, but it can also mean what? I, I like this part because it actually helps for us who are priests. It means that even if a priest 
does miracles which a lot of times the priest does, reads prayers, does liturgy, commemorates, all these things. But if the priest, the Orthodox priest, is not doing God's will, is not struggling, even if the priest will say, but I baptised thousands of children, I, all those children that I baptised were joined to your church, Christ will say, I never knew you. But I gave confession to people while they were dying in hospital and and I confessed them and communed them and they were saved because of me, because I went there. Christ will say, I never knew you. But I married so many people, I brought so many people to the church and I preached the, the gospel to people and because of that, uh, people uh, learned things. And Christ will say, I never knew you. Why? Because, as the ten virgin parable we see here, that five were foolish and five were wise, even though... The five that were foolish, as Christ calls them, even though they were virgins, which is a really, really uh, great virtue, virginity. People wouldn't know that now today because virginity is looked at as negative. But in the uh, church, virginity is a great virtue. And even though those five were virgins, so they had the virtue of virginity, it says, Christ says, they never had the oil, they never carried the oil in their lamps. And that means they never had, as Saint Seraphim Sarov says, they didn't carry in their souls, they didn't have in their souls the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes from humility, repentance, prayer, participating of the mysteries, etc. So let us not become proud of some little virtue we have, which might not even be a virtue, it might be natural. Because as Saint John, Saint John of the Ladder says, some people by nature are meek. What does meek mean? They don't get angry. By nature, it doesn't mean that they're spiritual. It's just by nature. Even an atheist can be meek. Some Saint John of the Ladder says some people by nature are uh, uh, do not have sexual uh, temptations by nature. They're just born that way. It doesn't mean that they're going to be held high on the last day where Christ is going to give them a reward. No, he gives the reward for those who are angry and fight it to become meek or those who have sexual temptations who fight it to become pure and many other things which we'll read another time. The next quote, And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. In other words... He did, meaning the Antichrist. I will do a talk about that in the future, but let's just see what, what the quote is. It says, He did outstanding miracles, spectacular signs, great wonders. That's important because whatever is from the devil is always spectacular, always creates in people that, wow, oh, look at that, and all these type of things. And it's usually, as the Holy Father say, done in the air because the air is where they live and it's always to do with light fire coming and all those type of things we'll come to that soon the coming of the lawless one this is now saint paul the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of satan again referring to the antichrist but anyway we we know that there are forerunners anyone as saint john says anyone who doesn't confess that Christ is God is an antichrist. If someone says that he's the Christ, he's an antichrist. Anyone who does the will of the devil is an antichrist. So there's forerunners of antichrist. We don't have to say, well, we're not living in the times of antichrist. That means we just reject the teachings. There are forerunners of antichrist. There have always been forerunners of antichrist. So here we say 
The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of false miracles, signs and wonders. Again, there's this reference to great signs and wonders. But yet, it's very difficult as a priest when people ring or come and say, there's this um, person and they, they can tell you this or they did this or they've got some special icon there or something, there's a light in there in thing or that looks like, like the one at Kuji where supposedly the mother of God was ap- appearing and so many people went down there and was some type of light. The atheists tried to say it was the moon. The religious people said it was the mother of God or something else. So this is uh, important to know. This emphasis of signs and miracles and things. The last one, for I bear them witness, says St Paul to the Romans, that they have zeal for God but are not according to knowledge. In other words, he says, I know that they have enthusiasm for God but it is misdirected zeal. It's not proper zeal. They are misguided. They are not it's not according to spiritual knowledge. It's not according to the way that God wants. Oh, because we see someone fasting a lot or someone who prays a lot or someone who does a lot of things in the church, we might say, oh, look, he's really a zealous. He's really, he's really zealous or he's really a, a great struggle. It's got to be according to knowledge, according to Christ. In other words, if the person's doing it out of pride, then... It's not going to help them. So not all zeal is from God. That's another ignorant. That's another thing that people are ignorant of. They think that all zeal is from God. So as I said before, and I've mentioned a lot of times, which is why I purchased all those books over the, uh, um, at the back, is by reading the lives. Of, you see, you can't just read the Bible on its own. The Bible is supposed to be read in conjunction with the lives of saints, because the lives of saints. The lives of saints are the Bible in practice. By reading the lives of saints, we will know what the Bible means. Unlike the Protestants, in the 16th century, they rejected the lives of saints. They didn't want the saints anymore. Then Luther said that he's going to interpret the Bible his own way, which he did. But shortly after that, a couple of years later, then all of a sudden he just realised the mistake that he made. Because after that, everyone was interpreting the Bible. They go, why should we listen to him? And they all started interpreting, and hence all the thousands of pieces that they, are, that they are. Luther was correct that the Catholic Church was corrupt. And especially he didn't like when the Pope was saying that he sells special uh, forgiveness certificates because they wanted to build something in Rome, I think a church, I'm not sure they had no funds. So that they thought, why don't we sell the people forgiveness certificates, which means if they've got a, someone who's died and they think went to hell, then if they buy this certificate, then this certificate will help that person to come out of hell because the Pope signed the certificate. So that was corruption, and they had a lot of corruption with relics and many, many things. They didn't allow uh, people to read the Bible. They said that, that only the bishops should read the Bible. Even some priests didn't even have Bibles. That's how corrupt they were. And so Luther said this is wrong. He was a theologian and he rejected all that. But what did he do wrong? 
he should have come back to the Orthodox Church. But the Orthodox Church, in his opinion, resembled somewhat the Catholic Church with bishops and monastics. He was a monastic, by the way, but he rejected that when he married the nun. And the Orthodox Church has saints, so does the Catholic Church. He didn't like that. He wanted to get rid of all these things. And that's because he was so affected by being a member of the Catholic Church. So that's why it's very difficult if someone's been brought up in a heretical group. Sometimes it's hard for them because they're really scarred. And he was scarred, but unfortunately he was proud as well. And he lost himself because he really should have humbled himself to God and God would have showed him. But instead he created that whole mess where it was a big disaster in Europe. And that's when the Protestants and the Catholics started fighting each other and killing each other. And, and in some areas, they still do blow up each other and things like that. There's a lot of hate between them. But that's why it's important to read the lives of saints. This on, but the lives of saints, as I said earlier, it, on its own, it's not enough. But we need to be actively engaged in spiritual struggle. A person has to be a practising Orthodox Christian. Books don't make sense. And I'll give you a little example. It might bore you, but it's a good example for me because it, sh it shocked me. When I, when I went to the university in my first year to do maths teaching, but I had to do some other subjects, and one of them was chemistry. So I went to the second-hand bookshop, and I bought all these chemistry books. I had my textbook that was set, but I also bought a few other textbooks, and I was reading the textbooks, like I'm reading um, a novel. So I read them, read them, read them, read them, sit for the exam, and I get in, my, I get in the post, past terminating, which means I've just passed, but I can't go on to second year. Uh, chemistry, not that I wanted to, but my pride was quite hurt, and I thought to myself, it wasn't in the church, but I thought to myself, how did that happen? You know, but for maths, I did quite well, but I didn't do well for that. Why? Because for the maths, what did I do? I did papers, I did practice. Maths is an exam which is practical. So what do you do to practice? You pra it's like trying to learn a car by reading the thing. When you come to an instruction, you turn, then you do this, you do that. But when you get in the car and then you try to do that, if you've never practiced in, in any way, then you're going to drive it into a telegraph pole or into someone's car, etc. Uh, it's not even enough to see someone driving. Like when I was young and I was very silly, I got into my uncle's car, not as an example, but really, but it, it hit me even then, and I was only around 10. I said to my, 11 or whatever, I said to myself, oh, you know, I've watched people drive. That means that I should be able to drive in my stupidity. So I got into the car, got the keys, got into the car, and just started to drive up the street. I only smashed my face on the, on the um, steering wheel, because I didn't know how to control the brakes and the car went out of control. Why? Because you can't learn from reading. And that's what I did wrong in chemistry. I was reading the books like a novel. A novel you can read like that. Spiritual books you can't. Spiritual books cannot be understood unless one is practising the orthodox faith. That's why one... Um, I think it was a bishop, I'm not remember the story, but one bishop said to um, uh, a father, of the, of, to one of the Holy Fathers, said to him, I don't, uh, when I read this book, I think it was the Philokalia, which is about monastic saints and prayer and deep life, he, goes, he says to him, I don't understand it. I don't understand what they're writing, what, what, these, what the saints are writing in this book. 
And he says, that's right, you won't understand it. It can only be understood by those who practice it. So see the example of the drive-in? And not an example, I shouldn't have said it in front of them, but that was just something stupid that I did. Nearly lost my teeth over it too. And then the other one is the, 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 um, the chemistry example as well, where I just about failed because it was practical. You can't read those type of things. Must, you must do practice. So in the Orthodox Church, how will you understand prayer? How can you read a book on prayer unless someone is praying? At least doing some prayer. So when the saint writes, when it's time for prayer and the demon tells you, brings into your mind distractions and says, do this, ring up this person, go and take out the washing and all these things. Only someone who's actually praying and has experienced that will understand that. But someone else who doesn't do that will read and go, oh, the, it says here that for a person who's a true Christian, they have to be distracted by the demon. So what do they do in their fantasy? They make it up. They make up a fantasy and they go, um, I was, um, the other day the devil came and he told me these things and you can see that they're making that up in their head because they have never practised anything. And according to our humility, we understand the more we humble ourselves, the more we repent, the more God gives us understanding. God does not give spiritual understanding to us if we're proud because it can cause, it can cause us to lose our souls because we become even prouder. And that's why he doesn't give it. So that's why the saints had such spiritual knowledge and the gift of discernment because they had humility. And God said, I can give them understanding. I can give them gifts because they'll be able to handle them. But if I give those gifts to someone who's a, a proud person, then they're going to destroy themselves. So where God doesn't give us gifts... We're going to find out soon that the devil does. Let's look at a few examples of what's happening today, or some things, and see how important it is to have spiritual knowledge, especially the lives of saints. Firstly, we've all heard of Islam. We hear about it quite a lot. The Quran, we've all heard about that. We even heard some things last week about it. Some Muslim man, he heals people with the Quran, supposedly somewhere here in Sydney. Now, Muhammad, the history, the history books tell us, and they themselves say it, he went into a cave to pray. And there he saw the Archangel Gabriel. And the Archangel Gabriel revealed to him slowly the Quran. So the Quran came from a vision of Archangel Gabriel. Am I saying that that's right or wrong? Let's read the lives of saints and you will see for yourselves. Was it Archangel Gabriel? Was it not? Joseph Smith, he's the founder of the Mormon religion. He was confused at the time because there's all Protestants, a lot of groups, in, in, and he, in 1893, was praying and asking God to show him the true religion. So he went out to the forest where he saw an angel, and the angel gave him the golden plates, some golden plates, and on those which became the books, the Book of Mormon. And, and from these visions, he had a few visions, he established the Mormon religion. So because of this angel, we now have these people on bikes riding around all of Sydney that have on there that they're elders. But that came, their, their religion came from an angel. 
Is it right or wrong? I'm not, well, as we go on, you come to your own interpretation of that. The next thing, there are a number of apparitions of the, of the Mother of God, as they say. For example, in Lourdes, in France, in 1858, 14-year-old Bernadette, which in the Catholic Church is called, she is named Saint Bernadette, or bless her, I'm not sure, I think it's Saint. Uh, she saw a lady, and the lady gave her messages. Some of them were secret. The Catholics are really into secret messages. Um, well, that goes because when you look at it, they never gave their faithful the Bible to read. So that was, a, that was kept apart from that. And church writings were not given to the faithful as well. But in the Orthodox Church, there is not one book which is secret to any Orthodox. There's nothing, there's nothing secret. The ordination prayers are there for people to see. All the Bible, the writings of the saints, the prophecies, whatever, anything and everything is available to everyone, unknown. That's why they make up these films of the, the Da Vinci Code and the angels and demons, all these, it's always secrets. But they, they started that. that. That's their fault because they're the ones that kept on holding things away and said, oh, the people are too, they're too ignorant to understand. Only the cardinals can understand. So they created the, the, the mess in the first place. But anyway, they're into secret messages and things like that. After that, um, and also the lady said that she's the Immaculate Conception, which means that that was a dogma, which was just, I think, over the centuries was developing in the Catholic Church, I think it was already established, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which means that the Mother of God was born without sin, was born without the, the, um, the sin of Adam which is only Christ was born without the sin of Adam. But they wanted to raise her really high, so they said, how can we raise her high? I will make her that she was, she was conceived, that when she was conceived, she, was, she never had the, the what's called the, um, what's that? The, uh, the, uh, there's another word for it, sin of Adam or the um, original sin. Sorry, thank you, whoever said that. Yeah, the original sin. After that miracle... The Pope, who was a staunch defender of the Immaculate Conception, said, see, I was right, because I support that. The Mother of God said to Bernadette that she's the Immaculate Conception. What does that show? That the Pope is always right. Shortly after that miracle, Pope infallibility, which means the Pope can never make a mistake, was established in the, in the Catholic Church. Fatima, which is in Portugal, 1917, Children of 10, 9 and 7, uh, they said that they saw the mother of God. And there, there was a great sign, a great wonder happened. The people that were present, or a lot of them, because thousands would come there so they can hear the messages, for, find out from the children the messages, they said that the sun started to twirl and started to come down towards the earth where they started screaming because they thought it was the end of the world. That was a great sign and wonder that happened at that particular time, which a lot of people saw, a lot of people were amazed, a lot of people got scared, and it was also in the air, happened in the air. The next one, I can't say this word, Garabandal, Garabundal, it's in Spain, between 1961 and 1965, four girls, uh, ages between 10 to 12, always young teenagers, young children, seem to see miracles and 
and things in the Catholic Church. By the way, the Catholic Church does not recognise all these visions. Some of them they don't even recognise. You'll see why soon. And one of the messages was that there's great punishment coming, if I remember right, but the punishment won't happen when Russia is, will be dedicated to the Sacred Heart. In other words, when Russia's converted to Catholicism, then there won't be any punishments on the world. That was the, one of the main things there, that Russia will be converted. The Catholic Church has always had it out for Russia. They really want the conversion of Russia to Catholicism. Another one was in Cairo. This time it was above the Coptic Church there. This happened between 1968 to 1971. There, if I remember the account, there was these birds that be flying around and this light and they said it was the mother of God and Muslims came and Catholics came and Orthodox came and Coptics came and all these people came to see this, this great sign and wonder that happened in the air. Um, they asked the person, whoever this vision was, which is the true religion? And the vision said, God is pleased with all religions, and which is quite ecumenical. So it must have been an ecumenist light. And what happened there was that the Catholics, when they heard that, got very upset because they believed that they're the truth, so they rejected that vision. I think they didn't like that one. That, that vision wasn't a good vision because it says that God is pleased with all religions. Then we go to, I can't say this word either, I think Medjugorje. Say it? Medjugorje. Medjugorje. Thank you. Yep, thank you. That's in uh, Croatia. This happened in 1981 when it was still part of Yugoslavia, I think, if I'm correct. Four teenagers between 15 and 16, again, they said that they saw the Gospa, I think it must be Catholic for Mother of God, and there they would receive messages and people would be lining up to find out what the messages were for the day. I think they used to relay them on the radio too. And um, by coincidence, that place was near the place where the Croatians massacred thousands of Serbians. But the Gospa, or the Lady, or whatever they call it, didn't seem to have mentioned that, nor did she say that it was bad that that happened. That seemed to be, that looks like the Gospa had limited knowledge. She didn't know everything, which is a bit funny. In the Ukraine, 1987, a 13-year-old girl said something, and we're going to study this more later on. Now, Francis of Assisi, he also saw visions. And after his visions, he, he actually started to develop those stigmata. Now, stigmata is that he started to have holes in his, like exactly what he said was that he felt that he was transformed into Christ, that he experienced the same pain and the same burden as Christ. So he had, he formed, they just forms out of the blue, holes in his um, um, hands, in his feet, side where, where the Christ was speared, all the marks, all the cut marks of the, um, of the thorns. And that happened after the... Uh, his visions that he saw. I think he saw angels too, if I remember right. Now, Francis of Assisi, or Saint Francis of Assisi, as the Catholics say, is one of their greatest saints. And, believe it or not, a lot of Orthodox also believe that at Francis of Assisi. They have, even have icons of him in their house. Now, 
I'm going to mention this in passing. I'll study it more next time in, an, in, an, in future talks. But the Franciscan monks take their name from France of Assisi. They practice the prayer life and the spiritual life as set out by Francis of Assisi. And they take the name Franciscan monks. They're the ones that think they're the bram of the rope and the knots and things like that. Now, during the Second World War, another word I'm not sure, he said Ustashi, did he say Ustashi? Yes, they were some political party in Croatia and they were fanatical and they wanted to wipe out everything to do with orthodoxy. So they converted, they converted some by force. Others who didn't want to convert were killed, orthodox Serbs, and others were, um, I forgot now, I think they, they were killed, tortured, others converted freely. They killed approximately 750,000. Who supported the Ustashi, if that's the correct way of saying it? Who participated? Who were the most fanatical of them all in the conversion of Serbian Orthodox to Catholicism? The Franciscan monks, who follow the life of Saint, as they call it, Francis. Now, God willing, in months to come, there's a great article which I'm going to read, which is a comparison of Seraphim of Sarov and Francis of Assisi, to see the difference, to see... The, now, in the life... I'll just say one more thing. In the life of St Francis of Assisi, when I say saint, meaning as the Catholics call him, um, just like I say, the Pope, but it doesn't mean that the Orthodox recognise him as a... Pope, like we used to have before the schism, but we call him that title out of um, politeness, That's because that's how he's known as. In the life of Francis of Assisi, St Francis of Assisi, the writer writes the following. When Francis died and went to heaven, God the Father was in doubt, became doubtful at one stage. He was not sure whether to show more honour to Francis or to Christ his son. That's what it says there in the, because, because it's said in his life that, that Francis suffered in the same way as Christ, George. Are you saying miracles of God only happen to Orthodox Christians? No, miracles can happen. Uh, we've said this in other talks. Miracles can happen to the Muslims, miracles can happen here, but the point is to have the knowledge to find out whether what's real, what's not, what might be a trap, what's what, where we're going. I mean, miracles happen when people see UFOs. But these, these um, men must have been great leaders like Muhammad to convince a big population as they did, right? Yeah, he did. He convinced people, but a lot of it was political and a lot of the people that he convinced, he had a little bit of a help. It's called the sword, Right? And he went right through Europe and he forced people to become Muslims. Well, they to get, uh, um, the first and the second generation then... Well, then they become right. fanatical, yep. And a lot of them also uh, were um, just like, for example, Croatians. A lot of them are Serbians, but they don't know it. A lot of Greeks, Greek boys, were kidnapped by the Turks during the time when the Greeks were under the Turks. I, think, I don't know if they've done the same to the Serbians, but they did it to the Greeks. So they were brought up as the worst enemy of the Greeks. They hated the Greeks, but they never knew 
that they were actually Greek Orthodox in the first place. And Muhammad, he did the same. It was by the sword and fire. Everyone knows that. It's a historical fact that they converted and a lot of, their, a lot of it was political. So they could be demonic miracles? I'm, I'm not saying anything. I'm just giving, I'm just, so I'm just saying some facts and I'm going to, I'm going to, you see, if I say my opinion, then what's the point of coming to my, everyone will just Where leave. Where is it from then? Your question's excellent. That's why you've got to wait for the seed to get it in the talk. <laughs> see, I've, that's what I've got. See, that's the purpose of the talk. That's the teaching method. You get the people interested to the point that sometimes they get a bit aggressive. That, that, well, you're not aggressive, but some get a bit aggressive. They want to know the answer. And I say, you're not going to get the answer. You've got to listen to the talk. That's the whole point. Um, we come to what I said to you just now uh, about the UFOs. A lot of people believe in UFOs. Is it right or wrong? But the point is that people, people that have, have been supposedly abducted or have seen UFOs have been um, examined by psychiatrists and they say that these people are not mentally ill. They're not mentally ill, that these people have seen something and have experienced something. The charismatic movements where they speak with tongues and they do miracles and they heal and things like that. The charismatic movement is another thing which we have to study. And I want to, God willing, dedicate a... I was going to say period, back to the school days. A, dedicate a talk to the charismatic movement. Dedicate a talk to the UFOs. And the other thing is with the mediums, George. Isn't that true that mediums also speak to the dead and they say things to people? What do you think John Edwards can make people cry for? Because he, he does these readings, as he calls them, and he's telling people things that n no one knows. And the people are crying in front of the t television in front of millions of people. So he's got some powers, but what are they? Is he talking to the dead? Who's he talking to? Psychics. We've got these, all these shows, psychic detectives, and so many um, shows, ghost investigators. Then there's Hinduism, which is Eastern religions. They do miracles. Actually, they do a lot of miracles, the, the Hindus. And then we have the, the other movements ecumenism and zealotism we have to talk about that as well but it's hard i've said before i want to do a talk on for example ecumenism but i can't do the talk because i feel that the people don't have enough knowledge and that's why i'm building up to it i can't do it because you want to understand you i'm not meaning to be rude i'm not trying to be negative towards but people aren't going to understand what i'm talking about we have to understand the demons' tricks. In the Orthodox Church, one of the most difficult types of life is to go and live a, a life of silence in a desert, to go and live in a cave where there's no one around, for example, a life of reclusion. And the Holy Fathers say that this is the most difficult life, but that this type of life was not established by man in the... Some people say, oh, monasticism is made up by man or hermits are made up by man. It's not really from God. But our church teaches that this way of life and the, and the monastic life in monasteries, but I'm talking about this particular one, was established by God. It was the will of God. It was revealed by God that this is a life pleasing to him. However... What's important to note 
is that those who went and led that type of life, and I'm going to emphasise this word, were called. St Anthony the Great, who later on we know, who became the head of monasticism, and he was the founder of the hermit life, he did not go out into the desert straight away, but he only went out into the desert after he was given grace, great grace from God. He was guided by a voice that told him, go out into the desert and lead a strict life of silence. And he became known as St. Anthony the Great. An angel appeared to St. Macarius the Great and said to him to go out into a certain desert area and there to live. And after that, other people came many years later and lived around him, and that's where a whole, a whole group, I think it was that where it's called the Skeetios. I think it's not Skeet, but I'm not sure how they call it. But anyway, that's where a lot of monks began to live, and he became known as St. Macarius the Great. Again, not willy-nilly, not just, I feel like going to live in the desert. He actually was called by God. The next one, St. Arsenius the Great, wasn't even a monastic. He was living in the world and he was teaching the emperors of Constantinople's children and he prayed to God and said, God, show me your way. And then he heard a voice saying, Arsenios, flee from men and you will be saved. And he went and lived in the desert. St. Mary of Egypt was a woman who was a prostitute, as a lot of you know, and then she repented and she was called and she went into the desert straight. Like, that's really exceptional. Usually people, like when St. Anthony went, he was already holy. And when St. Macarius the Great went, he was already of a high spiritual level. And St. Asenius the Great, even though he wasn't a monastic, he was a great holy person who, when he went out there, became um, even greater. But St. Mary of Egypt was living that life. She repented and she went to the desert and she lived there. But again, she was called. Saint Seraphim of Sorov was called and given grace by God to live the life of a hermit in the forest near the monastery where he lived for 16 years. He lived near the monastery but in the forest. After this he returned to the monastery where he lived another kind of silent life there for five years where he cut himself off from people and then another ten years as a recluse, but during these 10 years, he actually used to see some people now and then. At the end of the 10 years, the Holy Theotokos appeared to him and told him that it was pleasing to God that he fully end his reclusion and start to serve the people. But that's after many, many years. And this is the question which is coming. See, here we say the mother of God appeared and we say she did appear. And St. Arsenius heard a voice, and we say that's a correct voice. And here we say the mother of God spoke to Mary of Egypt. That's correct. And St. Macarius and St. Anthony, etc., etc. These are true examples because they have been confirmed by the universal church. The whole Orthodox Church recognises these people. God foresaw that these saints would be fit for solitude and silence, and he provided them with such help so they can lead that difficult way of life. Now, during the time when monasticism was at its highest, in certain periods of the history of the church, monasticism was at, was at a peak where there was a lot, a lot of monasteries, great spiritual fathers. And yet, 
only few were capable of becoming recluses or going out and living in deserts and things like that in caves. Very rare. St. John of the Latter says that only some are capable of leading a life of silence. This was in 6th century, St. John of the Latter. He said only some. Now, Muhammad, as we saw, he went and lived in a cave by himself. He wasn't Christian, but he went. Now, did he already have virtue? As our saints, we are talking about our saints that had virtue. So, he, and, and not only that, we had saints that, that performed miracles. We had saints that were so virtuous, but yet they did not go and live that life in the desert. While St. Ignatius Branchinov says that these few are called by God for the very fact that God already knows that they have the ability to do it. Not that he, it's not like predestination where God gave him the grace because they were special. No, God already sees that they will be able to do that life and that person won't be able to do that life. However, those who had gone into reclusion, now we're coming to the theme, of their own free will, those who said, I'm going to go and do it, I'm going to do it, without being called by God, suffered spiritual shipwreck. In other words, they became a disaster, they were deluded, etc. So, Avadorotheos was known for his holiness and for his spiritual gift. He is a universal saint, by the way, like the whole Orthodox Church recognises his writings as well. Saint Dorotheos of Gaza was known for his holiness and for his spiritual gift in directing other monks in monasteries. Yet, he was forbidden by spirit-bearing elders from becoming a recluse despite his great desire to do so. He wanted to do it. He wanted to be with God more, as he said, which is true. He wanted to leave the monastery, wanted to be in the desert and be with God. And the Holy Father said, you can't do that. It's not God's will for you to do it. And they said to him, silence can lead a person to become proud before he has found himself. So if a person doesn't know himself, if a person has never fought with their thoughts properly, or if a person has not been purified of their passions, then they can become proud without even knowing that they're proud, if, as we'll see. If you have compassion for your neighbours, the saints, the fathers told him, stay in the monastery, show compassion and love to your fellow monks, and you will receive help from God. But if you refrain from compassion, in other words, but if you want to run away and not show love to others but go and live on your own, then uh, you will lose even the gifts that you already have. Meaning, does that mean that those who did go, Sarah from Sarov and all that, had no love for God, uh, for, for their people? They had love, but they were spiritually progressed. We think to ourselves as the worldly people think, they say, um, the saints who lived in the desert, this is what atheists say and unbelievers and apostate orthodox, they say um, they were selfish people. They didn't love anyone. They went and lived there to be with God, but they didn't care about anyone. And yet we read in the life of St. Sergius of Rundinus, who by coincidence we have his life today, his, his memory today, that said it was the prayers, I think one of the 
princes or I don't understand Russian history too much, but asked for his prayers of some, of, uh, against some enemies, which they did win, and they believed it was from the prayers of one person. And we read in the lives of saints where an emperor, an emperor said, I have, I have one person who is a great recluse, recluse in the desert, and he prays for the empire. His prayers are greater than my whole army. So they, people in the desert are so full of love that, yes, they're in communion with God but, and there's no one around, but they are praying for the entire world. And their prayers, we have no idea, I don't even understand myself, of what significance their prayers have. Uh, maybe I can give you a little hint. When people come and say, there's nothing left, I don't know what to do, this, I'm in trouble, I've got this problem, and I can see no solution. So they run to someone, to a priest or to an elder, and say, please pray for me, I don't know, there's nothing left, there's nothing, I'm going to lose my marriage, or my, my wife's going to die from a disease, or whatever, or my child's on drugs, or whatever. It could be, there's, not, there's no human power, it's finished. And then the, the person prays, for them, a virtuous person prays for them, and the solution happens. That person says that is truly a miracle because there was no solution. So that's an idea, that's just one thing. But these saints that were in the desert prayed for the whole world. And the, the fathers continue, taking the middle way will keep you safe from falling. Go the middle way. Don't go to the extremes. But if you were to abandon all cares before the time, if you were to go out into the desert, before you are ready, the enemy will prepare such temptations for you that you will not find rest or peace, but continual disturbance. And I read you the example, uh, sorry, I relate to you an example last month. A monk, which I personally knew, who went and lived on top of a mountain by himself, and he fell into deception and he threw off his monastic thing and then later on he led a quite an immoral life. You remember that? So, uh, so that he will force you, the devil will force you at the end to say, it would be better if I'd never been born. A person who does something which is not according to God's will in this case, to go and live such a high type of life without it being God's will will be disastrous and that person will say, I wish I was never born. Now, you might, some of you might say, well, what's that got to do with us? We're not contemplating to go and live in the Blue Mountains on our own. We're not contemplating to go and find some secret compartment in the Jalalan Caves. We are just people who live in the world and we're here. Why are you reading these things here? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, a lot of um, disasters that happened happened to people who went into reclusion when they weren't meant to go and saw visions, which we're going to see the examples today. Number one, and from that, heresies were, were formed and many other things. But the other thing is, for, our, for all of us, 
that we have to be careful not to do something which is above our levels. And I actually made a list of examples, and I read them to you last month, some of them. One of them was of people just doing things like almsgiving. I said last, last month that you know, people read the life of St. Philaret that he gave away all his money, so they'd try and give away all their money. That's just a high level. And then there's others who say, I'm going to refrain from sexual relations in the marriage, uh, husband and wife, because I want to become righteous. And I said last time that even St. Paul said to be careful of that. And that's only by some who can do that. And people try to do that, and then they make a disaster. And that's why St. John of Damascus, he said, he's talking to women, women are responsible for husbands committing adultery because a lot of times it's the women who want to refrain, usually not because of um, virtue, but because they're the ones that usually die off in that particular desire. And they try to say it's for spiritual reasons. It's a whole mess. We explained that last time. People want to read the books and they want to fast and pray like the Holy Fathers did, like really big fasts and prayers and things like that. That's very, very dangerous. People want to imitate the saints who were uh, confessors of the faith. They want to become confessors of the faith. And there's a whole, there's a whole thing about that, which I'm not going to, I don't want to go into detail, but those who were confessors of the faith were virtuous, holy. People say, I want to be like Mark of Ephesus. And Saint Maximus the Confessor, he confessed the faith. And they say to themselves, they're that. And Saint Ignatius says, these poor people forget that they're not zealots, that they're not imitating the Holy Fathers and Holy Martyrs because they were saints while you, meaning the people who do it, are sinners. He's saying, we are sinners. We are not even got control of our passions and we want to become, imitate these great fathers and saints. Then we go on and other people who, want to, who come into the church and they want to correct the church and say this is the correct way to do things. And, in, and even if they're right, there are wrong practices in the church, but even if they're right, if they haven't got the humility and the knowledge, they fall away into pride and lose themselves. Others that want to go and do talks, I've met quite a few of them, usually they become very, very... Um, antagonistic towards myself and or they go become antagonistic to anyone who goes against them but they want to they got they say I I've read a few books and I'm going to now do talks lay people I'm talking about and how many deceptions have I seen from that one guy who was doing that he had a few young people around him and he was doing talks and they got to the stage where they were saying Oh, when he does the talks, his face is so peaceful and he looks like Christ. That's one. And then what happened was that he was winding them up with Antichrist and last days and things like that. So one of them, sorry, and then the big bad priest came along, which is me, and I, and I, broke, the, then I you know, broke the group up and I basically talked to people and got a lot of them out. This person got very, very upset. And... Um, one of the people who, who was going there after I started speaking to him, he started telling me that he had stashed away, he had hidden away in his garage cans 
a lot of cans of pineapples and, um, and beans that they were because he said that they're going to prepare for the Antichrist. They're going to go and live up at the Blue Mountains, like I said, for a joke. They're going to hide somewhere up there and they had kerosene cans and they had lighters to light the kerosene cans and they had um, all these cans there, right? So that's one deception which came. This same person who became so full of himself, so full of himself, went down to Botany Cemetery, which is a cemetery here nearby, and he was angry because his, because his fiancée dropped him. And he went down to the Catholic tombs, I don't know why he had it out for the tombs, and he got a stick and he started to beat on the Catholic tombs down there and was asking the demons to come out to fight him. Right? And this is, this is um, we might think, oh, it's funny, but it's not. This person was doing talks. Who called him to do it? Was it from God or was it from his pride? This is why, George, I was trying to say before, we have to have knowledge to be able to explain. It's, it's worthless for me just to say straight out this, 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 this. We need knowledge. Another person who was doing talks, this one was from Melbourne. The, other, the first one was from Sydney. I don't know if there's other cities. that all got, Probably they all got one each there. So the one in Melbourne was doing talks too. And he had a few people down there as well. And I went down and visited there once and um, I did it again. I, <laughs> I um, broke that one up a bit too. So um, this person was gallivanting around and going to Coptic churches to do talks at Coptic churches supposedly about issues that he knew about. And um, one day, because he, uh, he was living with someone... And the person was playing a, a video, one of my old videos from years ago. And at that moment, this person was listening to the talk on his lounge chair. And the preacher, we'll just call him the preacher, was in his kitchen. And it was, a, it was at the moment that I said in the talk that the Coptics are not part of the Orthodox Church because they do not recognise the fourth, the fifth, the sixth and the seventh ecumenical council. Suddenly, the person on the couch heard this, this, like that, because the person was eating their breakfast, the other person. And he runs into the lounge room and he started, and that's no exaggeration, screaming and was saying, that's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong. And he became like possessed. And what happened was that from his talks that he chose himself to do, he actually started to fall into heresy. And even though, yes, because of his talks, some people did change. Oh, people changed. People came to the church. People got rid of some of their bad habits, etc. But I said to this person, uh, even St. Paul, after he saw the light, he went missing for three years. Where did he go? He went and led an ascetical spiritual life in repentance and then he came and started to preach. Even he had three years. And St. Xenia, before she took on the, the podvig of the fool for Christ, it's also said in her life that she was missing for a number of years somewhere. Where? 
Some say at a monastery, some say attached to an elder, whatever. She wasn't, she just didn't bang, become, because she was worldly. She was at a party with her husband, and the, and the husband was drunk, and he died. And she was worldly. And she was shocked that her husband lost his soul, and that made her to repent. But then she went missing for a number of years. But this person I'm speaking about, and the first person from Sydney, both of them repented, changed their life, and became preachers immediately. Yes. Uh, which, which sense in you? Of Petersburg, a fool for Christ, sorry. A fool for Christ, yeah. So, St. John of the Latter, as I've mentioned three talks ago, and I'm going to mention it again. Because to me, when I read this, it's such a great thing to remember for all of us. At the beginning, meaning when someone first starts to lead a spiritual life, he's talking more about the monastics, but it doesn't matter. As at the beginning, some of the unclean demons instruct us in the interpretation of the divine scriptures. He's saying, in the beginning of our spiritual life or the monastic life where, where people haven't progressed, the demons have the ability to inspire someone to give the correct interpretation of the scriptures. And they are particularly fond of behaving in this way. The demons love doing this. In the case of vainglorious people, vainglorious people, people who are, like to show off, aren't we all vainglorious? In, in, in a lot of ways, we all suffer from um, uh, vainglory. But one is to suffer from it and to know it, and one is to suffer from it and not to know it. And he said, apart from the vainglorious people... He also loves to tempt those who have been educated in secular studies, intellectuals, and by gradually deceiving them, he leads them into heresy and blasphemy. So, or because someone that you see says, oh, and he speaks so nice. It doesn't mean that if someone speaks nice, that it necessarily means that that person is doing God's work even if they're saying everything orthodox. Then you might say, well, what are you doing? Blessing, you know, bishop, etc. It's a, a bit of a, a different uh, kettle of fish there. And plus, that's, that's what the priest does. So, then there's marriage. Some people go above their level and get married. Now, some of you are a bit shocked to hear that. If you listen to talks 11 and 12, you understand. Some people aren't ready for marriage. They are not equipped at all for marriage. Spiritually, even humanly, one can say. They don't have the skills. They don't have the spirituality. We think that marriage is just such an easy thing. It's like the same as buying fairy floss. It's not. It's not. It's, the, it's really the most difficult thing of them all, the marriage. And that's why there's so many divorces. Because it is difficult. And one needs to be spiritual. And I'm going to say something which is going to be quite rough and people will get scandalised, but this is what I believe. Because someone says, well, if someone's got lustful temptations, the f temptations of the flesh, St Paul says that they should get married to avoid that. If someone has got those desires and there's a temptation that they can fall, I say, no, they shouldn't get married because they're not spiritually ready 
and the marriage will be a disaster. Now, someone would say, but that means that person may fall. Well, I tell you this, it's less of a sin to fall as a single person than to destroy your spouse and your whole family, which is what's happening today. Saint, sorry, Father Epiphanius Sotheropoulos, a great elder of the Greek church there, someone, a young man said to him, Elder, get me out of the army, because in Greece it's compulsory, get me out of the army because I'm scared because of all the temptations and all that. I'm going to fall into sin, and if I fall into sin, I won't be able to become a priest. Because they push, they, you know, all those things that they do in the army. And the elder said to him, better to fall as a lay person than to fall as a priest. If you can't hold yourself as a lay person, neither will you hold yourself as a priest. That means, he's even saying, even if you become a married priest, adultery is open and everyone's doing that just about now anyway. So it's not, and people say, oh, you get married and you've got your wife, you've got your husband, and that's it. But it's, that's not happening because everyone's going with everyone else. So it looks like it's not the solution, is it? Because when St. Paul gave that advice, I'm not going against St. Paul, St. Paul was speaking to orthodox Christians who were progressed in their spiritual life, people who were praying and fasting and participating in the mysteries, people who had some spirituality, not dodos that people who can't even pay bills and they keep on getting late notices, they don't know, women who don't know how to cook, Except what? what was that? McDonald's. Yeah, and the children are just walking Big Macs. <laughs> and then we've got serving the church and people want to become readers and altar boys. And these things need some spirituality, some repentance, some humility. And we go on, monasticism, people going above the level, say, oh, I want to become a monk, so they go into a monastery. And it's not hard to find a monastery which will make people these days, but it doesn't mean that they were called by God. So, you know, today it's so bad, the bishops are so desperate that they, they say, oh, there's a young man, he goes to that parish and he reads the Bible every night. Really, he should become a priest. Like, unheard of in the ancient, in, in times past. Because it's that, that's true, because hardly no one reads. So they go, oh, he's, he's... But that's not enough. Or because someone reads the Bible, he's going to become a priest and go through, as we said last week, all the temptations. That's monasticism. Then there's the... Um, then there we go, worldly, worldly things. People who just want to even study things that they can't study, uh, make, go into jobs that they can't do, you know, do th- buy big houses, and all these type of things which is above their level, even on a worldly level. That's a, that, that's a disaster. Okay, questions for the first segment? Yes? Uh, um, you know you're saying um, going above the level of worldly things. Just say, for example, I know this girl, um, and when I see her talking to the children, I kind of notice that she's very good at teaching. And her spiritual father said, no, you shouldn't do that. I don't know for what reason, but I think he might think it's too much for whatever. Um, or another example where you have maybe... I didn't hear that. The spiritual father said what? Sorry? Um, I, don't, I don't know what the reason was why he said that she shouldn't do teaching. Uh huh, right. Um, but he said maybe something different, something a bit more simple. Um, or another thing where, like, just say a doctor um, might have a skill for 
what's now or um, is, is maybe too much. Whatever shared. we've got, it could be our destruction. So someone can have a talent for singing and have a great voice and that causes her to go on these idol programs or got talent programs or something like that and they can win or go high and become famous and things like that and lose their souls. So it doesn't mean because someone's got a talent it means that they necessarily have to use that talent. It depends on their relationship with God praying, asking God to guide, what is the best for that person to do? People don't do that. People are very self-willed today. People do whatever they want. No one asks God for anything. No one asks God who to marry. They know best, and it turns out a disaster. No one asks anything, and this is a catastrophe. And that's why we say every day, our Father who art in the heavens, will be the name, thy kingdom come. We say it. Like, like Pharisees, we say, oh, thy kingdom come, but I don't want to know your will. Thy will be done. I don't want to know your will. But to know the will, we have to forgive those who trespass against us so that God can, can forgive us. So if we're not forgiven those who do sins against us, then God's not going to forgive us. And if we don't get forgiven, then you can't say, thy will be done. Because you need to be to be reconciled with people and be correct in your spiritual life. So where we, where I always say we seek God's will, we seek God's will, but that means that we are also struggling to lead a spiritual life, not a worldly life. Any other questions? How do we know what's the God's will? Sorry? as I mentioned that the more one repents, the more one humbles themselves and humility and repentance as I've mentioned in other talks comes from true experience of our weakness. So when someone starts to lead a spiritual life to do the commandments, the commandments for example say that we should um, love our enemies. That's the commandment, correct? But we, someone's done something to us and we hate them. So we have to struggle. The more we struggle, the more we see how difficult it is to forgive that person. It's really, really difficult. And we, after a while of trying to do it and being tormented, we actually realise that that can only come with God's help. That gives us humility. It helps us to see, look how weak I am. I can't do nothing. The God. Once we start to form that understanding of ourselves of true humility, not humility with the words, because we all can say, I'm the worst, I'm this, I'm a sinner, and you know, that's all thing. But true humility comes with spiritual struggle. See, the other day someone said to me, uh, oh, I had a fall, I had an, an accident, one can say. I fell into a sin. And I said to that person, right, well, do you know that when we fall, which we all do, it comes when we're proud. When we're proud, we lose grace and God allows us to fall. Not that he makes us fall, we choose to fall, but he allows the temptation so that we can see ourselves what we really are. So the person fell and I said to them, now you will learn from that what is pride, what is humility, what is repentance, what is trust in yourself, etc. This is how we learn. But people, if they're not leading a spiritual life, 
They're not going to learn these things. And if they don't learn these things, they will never be able to, to start to experience what is God's will and what is not God's will. So it really comes from one's spiritual life. When we're doing something and it agitates us, it's never God's will. So some people say, oh, I'm going to, I remember this person said, I'm going to become a monastic, I'm going to go overseas and nothing's going to stop me. Well, that's agitation. That's like, and she said, this is God's will. As her hair was sticking out and like she looked like um, Dracula or something. She actually looked quite fearful. And she said, this is God's will. But that's not God's will because it's, it's done with agitation. So all these things we, we learn as time goes I will be doing a lot of that too, but really it comes from our spiritual life. Last question before we have the break. Yes? And did you? No. Oh. That was a trap door. The trap door? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, well, not, I believe it was now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't go back there. So you thought that was a temptation? Yeah, I did. I was young. I was thinking, do they A temptation because Anglicanism is wrong or a temptation because you, you weren't ready to become a, um, whatever they wanted you to become? Sorry? I don't think that that was the case. I think that the... Uh, I was saying that when people are young, There was an example, I want to say, a young lady went overseas to visit the monasteries and she fell onto a monastery, which was, with the new, which was a, in, in the official church in Greece. She fell into a monastery which had a abbess who was a control freak type of person. She was, like, manipulative. And they were being nice to her because they wanted her to stay there and become a nun. So they even had a vend machine, what do you call those machines with ice creams, even to that. The other nuns weren't allowed to have it, but the visitors were allowed to have the ice cream and they were really, really nice to her. And this person, unfortunately, because she had an emotional background of divorced parents and very, all of a sudden she was shown a bit of love, or what she thought was love, and um, she thought to herself she wanted to stay there to become possibly a nun. And I knew from what I found out from other monsters, I ran, I ran around, they said, no, that, that woman is not really uh, uh, proper, that she manipulates people, she has a lot of control of people. And now I had the problem to try and get her out of there. So I had to use a procedure which unfortunately is wrong, but this is the procedure that I did. I had to lie and I had to say to her, that because I had to get her out because it's hard to once someone's trapped in something it's hard to if you tell them it's wrong and the person backs up and goes no you're wrong this is the best see anything whatever it is especially when people you know when people join up in those type of things whether they become another religion or whether they go and and um, whatever Jehovah Witnesses or anything even if it's an orthodox uh, movement which is wrong once someone's there it's very hard to get them out. 
because they believe that that's what's for them. So what I did was I said to her, um, why don't, I, I just want you to, can you go to, um, as a, to venerate a certain saint uh, in Corfu, Saint Spiridon? I go, he's all incorrupt. It's a really uh, a great saint to go and visit. And she says, oh, I don't really feel like going there. I, I, I want to stay here. And I said, look, you know, the, some other people are going to go. Why don't you go there and after that you can go back? So I lied. I said, after that you can go back. So she kind of, and of course I was being nice to her, similar to what the abbess was doing, being nice to her, she actually said, okay, so once we got her out, then I was able to speak to her a little bit and then she started to see that she was deceived, that she fell into deception, but thanks God that she got out of that. So I had to use a lie, which is still a sin, but, I never, but the point is that um, I didn't know how else to get her out of that place. So there are a lot of traps even within orthodoxy. And we have to be careful um, if we have humility as that, as uh, Zora, isn't it? As she asked. If we have humility, then God will always help us. As long as he sees that you want salvation, then even if you're going to fall into a trap that you've got no idea of, he will help. He will work it out somehow. Even without you asking, because you don't know. Something comes into you, some feeling, whatever. The main thing is, back to your question, is a person has to have a desire for salvation. And the prayer, apart from thy will be done, etc., the prayer is, I want to be saved. Do whatever you need to do with me so I can be saved. If you do that type of prayer and in true humility, then God will always protect, even when you don't know that something's wrong. You feel it. God will give you some little bit of light that says something's not right. People that have gone accidentally to these magicians, mediums and things like that to have their um, future, just ignorant people, don't even know. And they go there and they see something or something tells them in there, something's not right. They didn't know, for example, not the ones that know it's wrong. But, but some of them, they, don't, they didn't know. They were ignorant. And they went there and something told them that something's not right. If they take that, God will help them to get out of it. But if they ignore their conscience, like we read last month in the talks of those people that fell into deception, how many of them had that thought? They go, I knew that something was wrong. Something there was telling me, my conscience was telling me that there's something wrong. We should listen to our conscience. We should become attuned to our conscience, not to push it down and make it dead. Let's, um, you're welcome to have something there. Let's do um, a snack and we'll be back in... 10 minutes or so. Just um, before we start, the last talk, which is now available, is Talk 33, which was last month's talk. And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So the first talk in this series was 30, 32. This is 33, and today's one's 34. I've also purchased for you, for, for, for you to have available the following books from St. Anthony's Monastery. 
The first one, as I promised from a while ago, is Councils from the Holy Mountain by Elder Ephraim. So there's a hardcover and a softcover book. So I like hardcovers because people like to keep it as a good book. These books are excellent because they teach the practical things of spiritual life. And these are his letters that he wrote to people, monastics, but also to lay people. So we've got the softcover and hardcover, and that is a book that you would read a little bit every day, a couple of little sections every day, and it's very, very valuable. It's similar to St John of the Ladder, but the difference is that Elder Ephraim obviously chooses things which are more for people of today, you know. So that's then we have a bit of a deeper. I don't know if it's deeper, but it's the monastic wisdom again, hardcover and soccer. I bought both because some people. The letters of Elder Joseph the Hesychus, the spiritual father of Elder Ephraim. I remember when my mum, before she became fully paralysed, this was the last book she used to love reading. This book. I'm not telling you to buy it, I'm just telling you what my mother had, that she used to love uh, reading this book. And I've heard from many people that they love his, his, um, his letters because he spoke very simply. He does go a bit deep at times. And then another book that St Anthony's produced is this one here, which is In Search of Truth. That's St Anthony's, Arizona, in America. This book is about the Jehovah Witnesses. And not that some of, you, some of you have no interest in Jehovah's Witnesses, that, that's, that's not for you to buy, but uh, you might have a friend that's a Jehovah's Witness or some family member, but this goes through, and it's, it's, exa- it's about uh, two friends. The one was, I think, born a Jehovah, and the other one, I can't remember, I read it a while ago, but, and the other one he converted, and things like that the Jehovah's Witnesses don't really get converts from going around to houses, but they still do it. They get converts from the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, at work, when they're working with you, when they're, when they're relatives or friends, that's how they get their people, how they get people to join with them. So those who are interested in that, that is a, um, a good one. I think I got, I got about three quarters through. But um, they are true believers, meaning that they do believe what they believe. It's not like that people say, oh, it's for money. They do believe what they believe. But, you know, it's not right, but... And then we have this one here, which was um, Apostle to Zaire, the life of legacy of Blessed Father Cosmas of Rigorio Monastery. He's an, he was from Manathos, and he, was, he received the blessing to go to Africa and do missionary work there, and he established a lot of churches there. And in this book, he speaks about all those struggles, and he's also his struggles with the witch doctors there, and they... Uh, they speak, well, I think I've got one little article there which comes from this book, but it's an excellent book speaking about um, how much they're into black magic and how they can, they can kill people and things like that and how they um, basically they had no power against the Orthodox priest. He died of an accident. God allowed that to happen. Why, we don't know, but the point is that he's um, an apostle of um, Africa. So that's another excellent book. So those are the um, books that I got for you people to, if you want to buy. There was a monastery in Palestine which was at the foot of a high, steep cliff. And in the cliff there was a cave above the monastery. This is now from the Lives of Saints. The monks of that monastery related 
how sometime previously one of their own, a monk from their brotherhood, expressed the desire to live in the cave and asked the abbot for permission. The abbot had the gift of discernment. Now discernment means that he knew what is from God and what is not from God. It's deeper than that, but the person that's got discernment a lot of times also knows the past, they can know the future, if they're more depends on their progress. But it's a great, it's a gift. Actually, um, the church says that the greatest virtue in the Orthodox Church is discernment. So discernment is actually higher than love because what's the point in having love if you don't have discernment to know how to use that love? The ecumenists say, in the name of love, we will join because we love our Protestant brothers or Catholic brothers. But unfortunately, love is not enough. You need discernment. And that's what our saints had, that gift of discernment. And with God's so help, I did some talks on Saint Elder Paisios and Elder um, Porfirios, quite a few of them. And we saw there the great gift of discernment they had. They knew what to say, what to do, etc. So the abbot said to him, um, son, how is it that you want to live alone in the cave when you have not got victory over your passionate thoughts of the soul and flesh? Thought warfare is, as some of you have already discovered, is very difficult. What does thought warfare mean? Thought warfare is when thoughts come to us, they could be from nature, just natural, that could be psychological, could be demonic. And there could also be thoughts from God that we sometimes lack the ability to know. Well, that wouldn't be thought warfare. But the saints say there are three types that, of um, thoughts that we can have. Thoughts from God, which is, which is um, difficult to, to discern at times if, you, if we're not spiritually attuned. Thoughts from the devil and thoughts that just come from nature. Same with dreams. But when someone starts leading a spiritual life, a true spiritual life, then the devil does attack with a lot of thoughts. And if a person doesn't have experience in that and they're going to live on their own, they're basically finished. A person who wants to live in silence, says the, said the, um, the elder, should be under the guidance of a spiritual father and should not rule himself. This is one of the ways that we know if we're deceived, that we want to rule ourselves, that we are our own boss, that we think we know best, that we don't, know, we don't need anyone to guide us. That is a sure sign of deception. You are far from having reached a, um, a high spiritual level. And how can you ask me permission to live alone in a cave, but I think that you do not know about the many tricks that the demons play? That's basic. It would be far better for you to serve the fathers, which is the same advice that the fathers told Ava Dorotheos of Gaza that I read in the first part of the talk. They said the same. Serve the fathers. Stay here. Don't go out into the desert. So the father here, the abbot, is saying, don't go and live up in the cave on your own. Serve the fathers. Serve people. And that advice is for all of us, all of you, those who are married. You're there to serve. The husband serves his wife. The wife serves the husband. The parents serve the children. The children serve the parents when they get older. 
Everyone serves each other. Christ showed us that example, that he came and he served everyone. So it would be far better for you to serve the fathers, to receive from God help through their prayers and to praise and glorify the Lord of all with them at the appointed hours. Serve, the, serve people. They will pray for you as well because you, you've served them. It might be a sick monk or a sick nun, for example, in, a host, in, a, in the infirmary at the monastery. Or some of you might have sick parents or a sick spouse or a sick child. And we serve those around us. This is very much loved by God. But for some reason we think that we've got to do something great, like the ascetics, so we do great fasts or great prayers. And meanwhile we have all these things around us, all these things around us. We have opportunities around us that we can do to gain God's grace, to do God's command, but we don't. But we choose things which we think are spectacular or maybe even look for miracles. So here, he's saying to the monk, serve your bre- your father, the other fathers and praise and glorify God with us in the services because monks have services every day. They have vespers and matins and liturgy and compline and midnight service. There's all these services they have. He goes, pray with us. This is better than for you to struggle alone with your impure and evil thoughts. And that we have to, a person, some people say, well, how do I know if I'm, you know, if I'm going all right in the spiritual life? What's a sign that somehow that we're going? A lot of times God does not allow us to see if we're going well because of the fact that if we're extremely proud, he doesn't show it to us. So as to protect. But in general, in general, how do we know that we're going well? Well, as long as we have repentance and as long as we have a, a feeling of aversion to ourselves for our pride, for our lack of love, for our revengeful thoughts, for our jealousy, for the evil we have, for the hate that we have. If a person sees that, as I mentioned in Talk 31, I think, that I said that I prefer that. I prefer a person to come to me and say, oh, Father, you know, I've, I feel that... I'm, I'm really off in this, 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 this. That's, that's spiritual life. That person would, has, is already starting to develop humility. Humility, which, as I said to our friend here, humility which comes from the experience of our weaknesses and our sins and our passions. When a person says, I try not to, you know, when my husband tells me something, I just burn within me. I cannot take, take it when he tells me something. Or the woman says the same. Or the, sorry, the man says the same. If that person says, this is really wrong what I've got, this is evil, I really hate what I've got, I must get over this, God help me, then that person is in a struggle. But if the person says, that's the way I am, that's how I'm going to be, and that's it. Well, if that's it, that's it, meaning there is no spiritual life. Have you not heard what Father John of the Ladder, or he calls it Father John, must have been during those times, but St. John of the Ladder, says, Woe to the man who is living alone. If he falls into despondency of soul or sloth, laziness, there is no one to raise him up. 
But when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, says the Lord, said the Lord. Woe to the person who's on his own. It's always better to live with others. It's safer. Because a person that lives on their own can fall into what's called despondency. And despondency means, another word for it, is spiritual paralysis. When a person just can't pray anymore, a person can't read anymore, a person can't feel anything spiritual, that person's what's called despondent. They're just hopeless and they just don't feel like struggling. It's just a lack of struggle. That's called despondency, different to depression to some degree, even though there's depression involved in that too, but spiritual despondency not depression, which can also come from other reasons, biological reasons. Um, but when there's two or three, then the other person can pick you up. So if you're married, the husband's down, the wife picks up. The wife's down, the husband picks up. In a family, each pick each other up. Friends as well, spiritual friends. Now, I said earlier on in the, in the talk, when a person, if, they, if they're not capable of getting married, they should stay on their own. So it's like, it's like I'm contradicting myself. But I'm not because a person who's living like that should try to live with others. That they live with their family. I can see a person and say to them, look, truly, I don't think you're ready to get married. That's my opinion. I don't think you're ready. It doesn't mean the person can never get married. It just tell them, start leading a spiritual life, intensify your struggles and get over, learn to, learn to see yourself, learn to control your thoughts, learn to repent. Learn to fall, if you fall, and to get up. And then, later on, once you gain some experience over some years, then if God wills, then you get married. But not when someone comes and they just led a life which was out of it. Like a fellow that I knew that um, he, he was um, about 21, and... One day he's basically playing with computer games all the time, like he was out of it, just continually computer games, computer games, and suddenly he had some type of enlightenment. He was orthodox. He had some type of an enlightenment. He changed, and then pretty quickly he joined up with a monastery to become a monk. So the once computer person just bang, bang, like that. And that person fell into deception. And he fell into, again, a monastery which was not really appropriate, um, and then later on, he left because he died from fasting. Um, he was, it was basically, I think if he lasted a few more months, he would have been dead. And he got out, went home. And then um, now, from what I've heard, he's um, went to jail because he was selling cocaine. So... The, the, this is the extreme. This is where we're not, if we're not spiritually ready for things, how things go. He just went and became a novice like that. I would never tell a person to do that. That's very rare. Maybe, maybe Mary of Egypt or some other great saint that they abruptly. But most of the time, people lead up slowly. So spoke the abbot, but he could not divert him from his soul-destroying thoughts. Seeing the brother's overwhelming desire and his constant request, the abbot at last allowed him to live in the cave. Why he allowed, I don't really know, but must be, I don't know the, the deeper meaning to why he allowed it if he knew that he couldn't do it. The only thing I can think of is to think sometimes 
I've noticed spiritual fathers, if someone persists in something, they'll rather give them a blessing whereby if they fail, they can't blame the person for not giving the blessing. See, in the monastic life, when they don't get a blessing, it's cursed. It's basically a disaster straight away. And then the person will say, it's because of you. You didn't give me a blessing. So what the person says, okay, that's what you want to do. I disagree. All right, bless. So they go, and if they muck up, then they can blame themselves. Uh, have you not he- heard? No, we've done that. So blessed on his way with the abbot's prayer, he climbed up into the cave. They had a ladder, and he climbed up. And at the hours for taking food, then one of the brethren, one of the fathers from the monastery would bring to the cave the food, he'll bring down a rope, they'll put the food on the end of it and take it up because he was very strict, he couldn't see anyone, you see? He wanted to be completely only with God. So uh, when he had spent some time in the cave, the devil, who always opposes and struggles with those who wish to live in a manner pleasing to God, began to trouble him with evil thoughts day and night. First comes the thoughts. Remember in Talk 32 that I read those things? It was thoughts. Uh, and the next stage was some voices, the next stage was knocking on the door, the next stage was visions, and, you know, it gets more progressed. That first comes the thoughts. And this is what happens to a lot of us Christians that come into the church. Uh, but, you know, God doesn't give us more than what we can take. If we're doing according to what God wants, then he'll help us. But when we start to do something which is not what he wants, then it becomes a disaster such that we say it would be better if I wasn't born. So this person, was, I think, is going to be saying that soon. And he, uh, so he, after some days, having transformed himself into an angel of light, he appeared to him and said, be it known to you that for the sake of your purity and moral life, the Lord sent me to serve you. Firstly, this is ridiculous in that how can he, have, how can he be pure and have moral life when he's disobedient, in a way. When he was self-willed. That's, that's, just, that's the first clue. But anyway, as we, as we heard in the previous talks, that the devil loves to praise. And if we love praise, if we thirst for praise, then we will believe it. That's why we have to have knowledge of vainglory. That's why we have to have knowledge to be sensitive, that when someone praises us, we go, oof, that's not a nice feeling that I'm getting. But that's when someone starts to progress spiritually and begins to be conscious. But the majority of Orthodox Christians today, when they get praised, they feel even uh, such a beautiful feeling in their heart from the fallen nature. So when, do we, when we get praised, do we like it or we hate it? Or do we hate it, or do we like it first, then we hate it later on? Do we realise it? Does it make us sick? Example, so that you can understand. A young fellow once went to a monastery, and he told me the story, and I, and I found a wonderful, wonderful story. He went to the monastery, a proud creature, just changed, but uh, I, don't know, I forgot how, many, how, how long he had changed, but maybe it was just recently that, that he changed, and he went to Mount Athos, to monasteries and he went to one monastery there and he had knowledge of vainglory a bit he was trying not to be proud tried not to have judging thoughts 
And he went into the church and he was attacked ferociously by thoughts of judging. He was judging all the monks and he kept on noticing, look at the way he's doing his cross. Look at the way he's bowing down. What a Pharisee. And look at that, he loves himself. And look at that, he thinks he's a good singer. And look at that priest, he's this and that. And he was going, it got so bad for him that he ran out of the church. No exaggeration. He ran out of the church, went into the room, his guest room that he was at, and he fell on the ground. And in tears, he asked God, take this away. I can't, I can't take it. It basically was ripping him apart because he saw that there's no way that he can be saved with such thoughts. Now, some of us might have those thoughts, but to a lesser degree, and it comes from our lack of experience, our lack of humility. Whenever we judge anyone, it's because we're proud. Anyway, this person was tormented to the, to the utmost. See? Good, I said to him. And he was a bit shocked. How can it be good? I said, because by being tormented with judging, you will then learn the sweetness of looking at people and loving everyone for what they are. And he goes, oh, I didn't think of that. See? Then we start to experience. When I have those bad thoughts, I feel this way. I feel horrible. I feel I lose my faith. I lose repentance. I feel I don't have any proper feelings. But when I have then, having experienced that, then when you do get the other ones, you go, oh, this is different. When I have those feelings or thoughts, then I feel that I'm sinful, I feel my sins, I feel repentant, I feel some humility, see? So we have to go through that. We have to go through the mud to understand the virtues. We start to understand this is not a good thought. This is not a good thought because this is making me agitated. This is making me to have hate for people. I don't feel like praying. That's another sign. When something's not from God, you don't feel like praying. You don't feel like reading. You don't feel like anything. So then the, the monk said, What good have I done, the monk replied, that an angel should serve me? Now even though he's saying that, it doesn't mean that he believes it. All that you have done is great, answered the devil. You have left all the beauties of the world and have become a monk. You labour in fasting, prayer and vigil. See, praise, praise, praise. And now you have left your monastery and have settled for life here in this cave. You have now left your monastery and you're living in this cave. And then the angel said, how can angels... Sorry, then the devil said, which the monk thought it was an angel... He said, how can angels not serve your holiness? How can angels not serve your holiness? In this way, the soul-destroying snake led him to arrogance and pride, which is what he needs. That's his fuel. Deception needs fuel. And the fuel that he needs is pride. That's the fuel. Like the car needs petrol. Pride and vainglory is what the devil needs to make us fall into deception. So once a man who had been robbed by thieves came to the monk, the unclean demon who, to deceive him, kept appearing to him in the form of an angel, said to him. So a man came to visit him down the bottom of the, the cave at the mountain and the devil said to him, this man has been robbed by thieves. 
what they stole is hidden in such and such a place. Tell him to go there and to take it. Then the man who had come to the cave bowed to the monk, but the monk said to him from above, because he was humble, All right, brother, I know why you have come. You are in distress because thieves came to you and stole so-and-so. Do not be sad. They put what they stole in such and such a place. Go there and you will find it and pray for me. Isn't that, isn't that the, the, the humility of that monk? And pray for me. So not all were, oh, he asked, he asked me to pray for him. He must be spiritual. Well, or because someone says spiritual words, nor because someone asks you to pray for him, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're spiritual. It could be just acting, as this person was. So this person um, was told by the devil about what this guy came for. But the monk thought from that that he had clairvoyance, just like many people who go to mediums and they tell us things and we think, oh, they know something, they know about us, they know this, they know that. But it, the medium, if you want to know, which is something I'll do in more detail later, they have what's called spirit guides, spirits who are guiding them, which are really devils. And when someone's going to do a seance or whatever they call it, readings, a lot of these people that do them, if they're authentic, because some of them are, a lot of them are false, they're not real, they don't have powers, but some of them do have powers. When I say powers, I mean communion with the devil. And their spirit guides are demons. And the demon tells the medium certain things. Uh, the man was amazed. He obeyed and found what had been stolen. He glorified the monk throughout that country, saying that the monk who lived in the cave was a prophet. See, one miracle, one miracle, one sign was enough for people now to... What's going to happen? Crowds. Here, here it is here. Crowds of people began to flock to the monk over one thing, something which is basic in the Orthodox Church. The devil can tell someone anything. I mean, it can tell us. The demons speak to us continuously. They can speak to us, and we're in the church. We serve, you know, even priests that serve often and commune and serve liturgy. And St. John of Cronstand, who used to serve every day, said, when I am serving the liturgy, the most horrible thoughts come to my mind. This is when he's standing in front of the altar table. Every type of thought he said. That's the that, same. So what a second. So if he has bad thoughts, which is from the demons, so do we. But the devil can not only just put bad thoughts, he can put thoughts which seem good. Basically what we've learned is the demons can inspire us through our thoughts and when we progress... We start communicating with spirit guides if we're progressed really getting into um, demonic waters. And it's even worse when we have visions and we, we see angels talking to us. Like the other fellow last week where he was actually um, having full-on conversations with his angel as he thought it was, um, having conversations and doing prostrations together and praying together and everything else that they were doing. They're singing together. So... Crowds began to flock. As they listened to him, they were astonished at the teaching which he gave by the inspiration of the devil. Again, that confirms what St. John of the Latter says and what every Orthodox father says, that someone 
who speaks well doesn't necessarily mean that it's from God, that the devil can be inspiring someone to be speaking in a supposed orthodox way, but after a while it begins to show the cracks begin to form that the heresies or whatever else they're trying to come say starts to come out. So this person, we'll see what, what happened to him, but he was able to tell people astonishing things. He foretold to everyone what would happen to them and his predictions came true. The writer of this story says that when he told someone that something's going to happen, his predictions came true. The unfortunate man spent a considerable time in this delusion. On the second, uh, one day, the vile demon appeared to the monk and said to him, in the form of an angel, Know, Father, that for the sake of your impeccable life, the, your, your life without fault, which is also, by the way, Francis of Assisi had a similar mentality. Yes, he said he was a sinner and things like that, but he believed that basically sins were forgiven and that he basically got to the stage where he believed he had no sins. Very similar. And this person, this, the demon's telling him, uh, you who leads, you lead an angelic life. While well, Saint Seraphim, on the other hand, would say the lowly sinner Seraphim and the sinner and and he had a consciousness of his sins. Different. Orthodox saints can be the holiest of the holy, but they, they feel and they believe that they are sinful from experience. Deep in their heart, as Elder Ephraim says, deep from within them, the false saints don't have this deep feeling of uh, repentance and humility not deep within them. And this, obviously, this, this person, if he did, he would have said to the demon, what are you saying? I haven't got an irreproachable life. I've got faults. What are, you, what are you saying there? He said, because of your perfect life and because you, are, you live like a life of, of um, that, um, other angels will come and take you in the body to heaven. There, with all the angels, you will enjoy the vision of the unutterable beauty of God. So the devil told him, soon other angels will come and they're going to take you in your body to heaven. So saying, the devil vanished. But the most merciful God who loves, who lo whose love for us is so great and who does not desire the destruction of men put into the monk's heart the idea to tell the abbot what happened. When the brother who usually brought food to the recluse came, the hermit looked out of the cave and said to him, Brother, go and tell the abbot to come here. The brother delivered the message to the abbot. The abbot went at once. He climbed up the ladder into the cave and said to the hermit, Why have you ordered me to come here? And he replied, What can I give you, Holy Father, in return for all that you have done for my unworthiness? What good have I done for you? said the abbot. Truly, Father, said the monk, it is through you I have been granted many and great blessings. It was by you that I was clothed in the angelic likeness, which means he received from the abbot the angelic schema, the great schema, which is a monastic thing. Through you I see angels and am granted to converse with them. I talk with them, I see them, and this is all because of you, Holy Father. Through you I have received the gift of spiritual insight. 
I have spiritual understanding. I know so many things. And I even have the gift of prophecy. And I can tell people what they're gonna, what's going to happen to them. On hearing this, the abbot said, Wretched man, you see angels. You've been granted the gift of spiritual insight. Alas for you, wretched man. Didn't I tell you not to go to the cave just in case the devils deceive you? When the abbot said this, the, the brother replied, Don't say that, venerable father. For the sake of your holy prayers, I see angels. So he persisted. See, I will tell you this example. And I want you always to remember it. When something's from God, the person has humility. When something's from the devil, the person has what's called in Greek, bisma, which means stubbornness. He was stubborn. And when St. Simeon the Stylite was performing an ascetical, ascetical type of um, practice there, that the others had never seen the fathers. That is, he, was, he was standing on a, on a, on a pillar, on a column. And that was never seen before, like they knew of, of a, like a lot of ascetical practices, ascetic practices, but they had never seen that. And they had an idea, this Simeon, the Holy Father's thought in, this, the fathers in the desert, I don't know where that happened, I don't know the life properly, but they said, it must be deception, we better check it out. So they sent one of the monks to Saint Simeon and stood in front of his column and sit in front of his pillar and said, Father, the fathers of the desert, when, when we say the fathers of the desert, that means the authority, the fathers who are holy, the fathers who were vessels of the Holy Spirit. So that's when they say the fathers of the desert. The fathers of the desert command you to come down from your pillar. And guess what Saint, uh, guess what Saint Simeon did? Straight away he started to come down. As obedience. And then the fathers said, no, 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 no. We know that what you're doing is from God. Stay, continue what you're doing. You see, a person who's deceived, a person who's fallen to deception, will be stubborn like a mule. You know, the mules, you got to, you know, keep on beating, they just won't move. You know, stop, go, they're really thick. They're really stubborn, like a stubborn mule, like a donkey. And um, that's how a person becomes when they are deceived. They, they become stubborn. And we should look at ourselves, all of us, because at times we all become stubborn. And when we are stubborn, stubborn we don't want to say sorry, stubborn that we don't want to listen, stubborn that we don't like people telling us things, whatever, whatever, or, we've, or we're doing something. We're doing a certain thing and someone tells us, you shouldn't be doing that. That might be deceptional. It's like that doesn't sound right. And the person reacts and says, no, what I'm doing is good, and reacts and gets angry and hates the person. That's not from God. Now, what happens if the person's doing something which is from God? Well, the person can calmly, in a spirit of humility, continue what they're doing, of course, checking with a spiritual father. It doesn't mean that we listen to anyone, everyone that speaks to us. Checking with a spiritual father. But you know what? I've seen people who don't even listen to the spiritual father. So that's the sign. Look at this person. He's saying, do not say that, venerable father. 
for the sake of your holy prayers, I see angels. So the abbot of the monastery is telling him that he's been deceived and he's saying, no, I haven't been deceived. We see a lot of this in our everyday lives. Just We have to look at ourselves and all of us will see how much we believe that what we're doing is from God and we believe in it with agitation, with anger, with irritation, not from God. Be it known to your holiness, said the monk to the abbot, that I want to ask the Lord our God to allow angels to take you too so that you will be with me in the glory of heaven. On hearing this, the abbot struck him on the face and said, like actually hit him, Wretched man, you have been driven mad, but now that I have come here, I will not go away, but will stay here and see what happens to you. The vile demons which you call angels, I shall not see them, but when you see them coming, you tell me. Each spiritual father has to use discernment of what's the best for the person. For some people, you speak gentle. Like remember I said that girl that was at the monastery, the woman, I spoke to her gently to get her out. That was the procedure. To others, you might have to tell them off. You might have to uh, raise your voice, become angry. It depends on each person. We're not like um, robots that only work one way. Well, even they work different ways, I suppose, don't they, the way they are? So um, he, he hit him because he's, he had actually gone crazy. The other person last time wasn't as bad. The abbot ordered the latter to be taken away and he stayed in the cave with the deluded man, continuing in unceasing psalm singing and fasting, like praying and fasting for this person. And that's another thing, you see? We, we try to correct people a lot of times. might correct your husband or your wife or your children, this and that. So we correct, people like to correct with words, but where is the prayer behind it? Where is asking God's help to give you the ability to correct that person? And that's why St. John of Cronstein says that when I try to speak from myself, I muck it up and I cause the person, I, it, the, the whole situation becomes worse when he tries to correct someone. Read the, the saints. And they always would pray and ask God, please enlighten me. A mother prays to God to enlighten her how to bring up her children. The husband prays to God to know how to behave towards his wife, the wife towards the husband, etc., etc., everyone. Continually asking God for guidance. If we don't ask for guidance, we have no right to speak at all because just gonna, we, we muck it up. If we ask with humility, God will give us. And people have said to me, have said, um, Oh, I tried that, I prayed, I did an akathis because I didn't know how to say a certain thing to my wife, for example. Like she was, every time I tried to speak to her, she'd become angry. And I prayed, and guess what happened? I go, what? They go, I didn't even have to speak to her. She's changed already, just from the prayer. So, you know, these are, these are things. But we try to correct people with no prayer, no fasting. Very bad. That's not good for us to do that, all of us. I've done the same many times, and it's come out disaster, disaster. The, uh, when, the, when the hour came in which the deluded one hoped to ascend to heaven, he saw angels come and say, We have come, Father. 
Then the abbot threw his arms round him and cried, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, help thy deluded servant and do not let the impure demons get possession of him again. When the abbot said this, the demons seized the deluded one and began to pull him, trying to get him, because the abbot was holding him, and the demons were pulling him physically, trying to get him away from the um, abbot. And they were trying with all their might to wrench him from the abbot's embrace. The abbot commanded the demons, like when the priest does the baptism, I adjure you in the name of the Father. He, he says to the demon, I, I, I command you to get out of this child, or the person being baptised. So this is what's called command. So a priest commands the demons during baptism, and during exorcisms, that's what's happening. But we've said before that those things are difficult. But um, here, the abbot, with the authority that he had from God, he was commanding the demon to get away. They tore the monk's rasa, like what he was wearing, the black, off him and vanished. The rasa was seen ascending through the air on high and was finally lost. It was just went out of sight. So they tore his, the black off him. Is that us, as we say? And, and they said that and the abbot and the um, deluded monk there saw it just going up, 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 so far up until they couldn't see it anymore. Uh, after some time, the rasa again appeared, fluttering down and fell on the earth. Then the abbot said to the deluded monk, Foolish and wretched man, you see what the demons have done with your rasa. That is what they intended to do with you. They intended to raise you in the air, like Simon of the, in the Acts of the Apostles who had the ability to float in the air, and then let you drop so as to crush you and fatally cast out your wretched soul forever. A couple of things here. Firstly, in that Father Cosmas book from Zai, says that the witch doctors, they can travel through air. They, they can levitate. Or a lot of mediums or these people can make things rise up, move things, that chair to be moved, make people, not like that David Copperfield where he does, they're just illusions, that's uh, magic tricks. That's a different thing to demonic powers. Understand David Copperfield's a magician, he does ma magic, but all like, you know, puts a pigeon in a, he puts a pigeon in um, a hat, then he crushes the hat and the pigeon's gone. So that's, that's a magic trick. The, the pigeon's either squashed or it's under the table, one of the two. But the thing is, it's a magic trick. In both cases, the pigeon's gone, right? They're, that's tricks. That's different to satanic things where people can go. So here we see that the demons have the ability to do that. And that's what people say to me, um, and you read about it, and they go, oh, look, you know, I went to a place and I saw the person and he thought and he made the cup move from there to there. And they're amazed by that. And because of that, they say this person is from God. But we read here that the demons can do that. They can raise things up in the air. It's called levitation or whatever else they do. So by reading this life of saying... We learnt so much about clairvoyance and the future and all these things, but we also learnt that they can do that. Now, Simon Mar 
well, we say magos, which is, comes from the word magician, but in English, do you know what it's called in English? Ma magus or magus? I don't know how to say it in English, but anyway, he's in the um, Acts of the Apostles. He was uh, a person who had the ability to suspend himself in the air and Christians were looking at that and going, oh, wow, and I uh, forgot which saint, was it St. Peter or someone, who actually had to argue with him and tell the Christians that, that what he's doing is satanic. The abbot called the monks, told them to bring the ladder, brought down the deluded man from the cave into the monastery and set him to work in the bakehouse, in the bakery and in the kitchen and in other monastic obediences so as to humble his thoughts. In this way, he saved the brother. Now, there's one little thing which I don't like at the end of this. It was a bit too abrupt that after all that delusion that he went to the baking house and went back to kind of... It appears that he went back to normal. But I'm going to read you now some other lives of saints where we can see that people that have gone through that don't get out of it that easy. They actually suffer. And I will give you examples of Christians in the world today who, when they enter into communion with demons, uh, really have problems happen to them. The next one is Saint Isaac of the Kiev Caves, a famous Russian saint. He lived during the times of Saints Anthony and Theodosios, the great Russian saints who brought monasticism, if I'm correct, I think I'm correct, to Russia in the 11th century. And they went, I hope my date's right, and they went, um, and what happened to him is he also went into a life of reclusion of his own will. That's it. I want to do it, I'm going to do it. All of these examples are very interesting. He under, in other words, in the first example and in this example, there is an absence of obedience and it's obedience which shows if we're humble. When we're obedient, we're humble. We can't be humble without being obedient. It's like a mathematical formula. See? To be humble, we have to be obedient. But for someone to be obedient, they have to be humble. Now, some of you might say, but we're not living in a monastery to practice obedience. I've said it a million times. We can be obedient to those around us. Women to be obedient to their husbands when it's in the Lord. Now, feminists don't like that. Are there any feminists here? Do I have to have my force shield so I don't get any eggs or some, some of our leftover sandwiches of not to be um, thing? This is very distasteful for these people. And children, we teach children to be obedient to the parents, which a lot of times they're not. Obedient to our bosses, obedient at school, those who go obedient into the law. 60 kilometres means 60 kilometres. You go 70, you're disobedient. That's just going to go, but that's not monastic. <laughs> that's just a heavy foot. But it is monastic because in one sense, it's obedience. That's the law. And St Paul says, be obedient to the law. Be obedient. I just read that the other day in the epistle during the liturgy, that God has given us these governors, whatever, so that we can be obedient as long as it's not against God's will. And I don't think 60 kilometres means you're going against God's will if you're just going to drive 60. And in your opinion, 
you feel that's too slow. There's examples everywhere of obedience. Anyway, so he undertook the most rigorous physical discipline. Desiring a still more rigorous life, like a really hard life, he shut himself in one of the narrowest caves of the Kiev monastery, because they've got caves there. Never been, um, but there's all caves and they used to do their ascetical life there. I don't, I, you know, Mount Athos, I understand it, but I don't understand the, um, is it just caves everywhere? Well, how, what, what is it? Is it caves up in the mount, in the hills? No, it's underground caves. Oh, really? So, and they used to go there and they used to lead their ascetical life there, did they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he put himself in one of the caves that was very far away to be away from people, to become a recluse, in other words. I think it's the word for it. And, and his food was prospera and he just drank a little water and that was only a little bit and that was nearly every second day. A bit of food, a bit of bread, prospera, sorry, and some water. With such strict bodily discipline, bodily, that's a very important thing there, with such a severe bodily discipline, there's no mention of spiritual discipline. What's spiritual discipline? Spiritual discipline is cultivating humility, repentance, love, faith, etc. This, this is not what he concentrated on. He concentrated on the externals, fasting, prostrations, silence, probably put chains on himself, slept on the floor, and all those type of things. And the writer here is saying that because he did do this and he, had, he didn't have experience in spiritual life, unfortunately, a person who doesn't have experience in, in spiritual life will become proud. And now you know why, for many years that I've been doing these talks, I keep on speaking about people who do big prayers and people who do big fasts because I've seen so many people fall into deception in the middle of Sydney. Falling into deception. Becoming sick. Becoming, going, having to go to mental institutions. I'm sorry, but that's, that's correct. That people, and you, so you're, you always can pinpoint it. When did you go to the mental institution? I went around um, oh, before Easter, Pascha. Okay, and when did, and did you do the big fast? Yeah, I did the big fast for two months. It's just basically there and there, and they think I've got powers, but it's not powers. It's just deduction. And this is what happens: if we fast a lot, but we don't pray, that's demonic. If we pray a lot, but we don't fast, or at least suffer, because which substitutes. When people are sick and they can't fast, that the, that the that their sickness makes up for their fasting. But the two, Christ said, prayer and fasting. You fast a lot, you pray a lot. You pray a lot, you fast a lot. But we have people who do who fast, who are doing these strict fasts, no oils, and eating after three o'clock, and having no. Um, no, basically doing really big things like this, big, big fast. Their prayer life is very minimal and they don't even try and do the commandments. Then they wonder why they become dis- um, disturbed and God allows them to fall into mental illnesses as a way to wake them up. So when we don't have experience, some experience of pride and vainglory, then 
these things become to us important. Just like someone who says, oh, I'm not going to have any marital relations anymore. I'm beyond that. I'm too spiritual. So they don't do that as well. So they're fasting. They don't do that. They don't do this. They don't do that. And it just goes on and on and on. But, but they don't talk about repentance. They don't talk about humility and love. All these external... The Pharisees did the same. Basically, that, that's where the word Pharisee comes from. When we do in these externals and we ignore the inner life, then we're Pharisees. So because of that, because of this bodily discipline that he was doing, and he was falling into pride and vainglory, that's it, that's the fuel, the pride and the vainglory. And who comes along? The devils come along. The devils appeared to a sack in the form of angels of light. One of them shone more than others, and the demons called him Christ and demanded the ascetic that he should worship him. By giving the worship due to the one God to a devil, the ascetic subjected himself to demons who tortured him with violent dancing till he was half dead. Once the demon, sorry, once the ascetic voluntarily worshipped this angel and uh, that they said was Christ, when it wasn't, he fell into that deception. From then they gained control over him. And then they, like the other one, where they tried to rip, rip him up. But here what they did was they started to violently spin him around and just basically um, torment him. And they tortured him until he was left half dead. St Anthony, who served the recluse, came to him with the usual food. But noticing that he made no reply and realising that there's something wrong... He got other monks to break down the door and they entered into his sack's cave. They carried him out like a corpse and placed him in front of the cave. Noticing that he was still alive, they carried him down to a bed in a cell, took him back to the main monastery. Saints Anthony and Theodosius took it in turns to look after him. From this temptation, his sack became feeble in mind and body, which shows us that communion with demons can, can bring about a person to become mentally ill, not all, and don't come away and say, oh, does that mean everyone that's mentally ill has got demonic problems? No. In this case I'm talking about, or, and we'll see other cases later. And body. He could not stand or sit. And when he was lying down, he could not turn from one side to the other. Basically, he lay for two years motionless, paralysed, in other words, deaf and dumb. That's what I wanted to say. The other story, they didn't mention that. Perhaps he wasn't as much or they just left that part out, which sometimes happens. But the point is, from the stories that we read last month, we read there as well that some of them were affected as well. And it takes a while for them to recover. But this is quite serious. Deaf and dumb, paralysed. In the third year, he began to talk and asked to be lifted and set on his feet. Only after two years. Then he began to walk like a child. But he did not express the least, des the least desire to visit the church. See what I said before? Demonic delusions and all that causes us to lose our interest in the spiritual life. We don't feel anything for spiritual life. And he didn't want that. Listen as well. 
that at first he could scarcely be forced to go, but little by little he began to attend the services, but over a long time. Then he started to go even to the trapeza, the refractory, and gradually learned to take food. So in, in the beginning he couldn't even eat, they used to probably feed him. During the two years that he lay motionless, he never touched either bread or water. I want to talk about this. He didn't touch bread and water. Why? What was he eating when he was in the cave? Bread, prosphoro, and water. He wouldn't touch it. My experience, little experience that I've had, is that people who fall into delusions when they're doing things that are wrong, they, be, they have an aversion to that which they were involved with. So, for example, if a person tries to become a monastic and they, and they weren't meant to go, but they just they wanted to go themselves without asking God or going against the advice, those people at the end turn out that they don't even want to hear things about monastic. They just go, oh, no, no, no. They get actually go into like uh, an aversion. People who read a lot of ascetical books and fell into deception, philokalias and this and that, a lot of them can't touch books. If it was prostrations that they were proud about, they did a lot of prostrations, it's very hard to get them to even do one. It's like they're going to give up their soul to do it. If they did a lot of fasting, they fell into deception, later on they can't fast. So, and, and, and I know that these people as well, they don't commune, they stop communing. Actually, anything spiritual turns them off, which is the definition of despondency, where you are spiritually paralysed. So he had bread and water, at the end he couldn't touch it. Finally, he was completely delivered from the strange and terrible impression produced on him by the appearance and action of demons. Subsequently, Saint Isaac attained to a high degree of holiness. He became one of the great saints and an example to look at of a person who fell into uh, deception and he became Saint Isaac of the Kiev Caves. And now we might say, oh, see, all came out well at the end, so it doesn't matter if we take a chance. Many people, they don't, not only don't they become saints, but they fall into deception, they fall away from the church. It's not something that's done. And God permitted that with him, but he had Saint Solosus and Anthony to pray for him, who are great saints of the Russian church. That's who he had praying for them. Who we, who's going to pray for us if we fall into these diabolical delusions? Sometimes, um, you know, when, when we play games, sometimes at the end, there's no one to help us if we play games. The next example is Saint Nikita, who came after Saint Isaac, again of the Kiev Caves. Saint Nikita was drawn by zeal again. What did he want? He wanted to go and live in reclusion, like Saint Isaac did. But the abbot, who, was, who by the way is a saint of the Russian church, Saint Nikon, 
forbade him, saying, My son, it is not good for you who are young to be idle. You can't just go to a cave and just pray all day. That's for the progressed. And I've, I've seen lay people who are married, who don't even take care of their children, or they don't even cook or take whatever. They want to just pray. Or single people. I had a few people that came to me years ago and they said um, they wanted to stop university, somewhere at university. They wanted to stop university so they can pray and go to church. I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't cultivate freaks. That's to me, that's what's called spiritual freaks. Go, but I, I want to come to church often and do spiritual things. We don't have um, people who just want to go into deception. So stay at university, finish your degree. Others had finished their studies or whatever and they said, I don't want to work now. I want to lead a spiritual life. I want to go to church and pray and read spiritual books. What did I say to them? You cannot do that. One woman said to me, I, I, I went overseas and I learned painting, icon painting. And what I want to do is I want to paint icons all day and sell them because that's spiritual. I don't want to go to work and do things like that. The same thing to her as well. I said, because you have not learnt spiritual life, you will fall into deception. You either get a job or goodbye. Not, uh, you will not be under me. That's not right. So this is also in the world. A lot of women do these things, unfortunately. Women who, you know, who believe and when their husbands go against them, they think that they're being persecuted because they're holy, because their husbands are starving, right? Or because there's no clothes to wear. And they think that they're being persecuted, but it's not because of that. It's because there's no food. They're not cooking, they're not doing this. All they want to do is do prayers and go to church, continue this and that. But spiritual life is serving those around you. So don't think and say, oh, these examples are not for us, but they are because they help us. Not only to understand deceptions that we're going to talk about as, as, as weeks go on, but also to understand our own spiritual life where we all, St. Ignatius says, when we read a book, we read about someone who did um, Akathos all night, so then all of a sudden we want to do the same. We become inspired. Like children, as I said this before, they read about Superman or Batman or Spider-Man, whatever they read, and then that's why you see them jumping around with spider webs and whatever else they're doing, and they think that they're that. Until they get a broken leg and they realise that they're not. <laughs> because they don't have that ability, but in their fantasy, that's what they are. That's how we are. What we read, we become enthusiastic and we want to do it. That's not sober. That's why the saints say, be sober. See, a sober person, he knows what he's doing. The drunk person, right, he thinks that he's going into a building but he's falling into the, over a cliff. He doesn't know. He's, he's drunk. He says stupid things. That's the same in the spiritual life. When a person's spiritually drunk with pride and vainglory, the person, we don't know what we're doing and we fall into every deception and every stupidity. So... So these things we do learn. By serving them, you will not lose your reward. It says, stay in the monastery and serve your brethren. You know how Isaac was deluded by demons when he did the same thing. He would have perished if the special grace of God through the pairs of our holy fathers Anthony and Theodosius had not saved him. Father Nikita replied, 
I will never be deceived by anything of that kind, but I want to stand firmly against the cunning tricks of the demons and to ask God to give me the gift of miracle working. This is just the whole, the whole thing's wrong. We don't ask God for gifts of miracle working. This is against the teachings of the church. This is, this is um, uh, the worst thing. Who remembers when, when I did the talk of um, Elder Porfirios? How he went to Manathos and he was being obedient. He was obedient to his, his spiritual fathers there that he had. He had two that lived together there. And he would do whatever they said. He wasn't seeking any gifts. This is talk number 19 or something. Without him asking for it, he received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is exceptional, but that's it. But he got it because of his humility, because God knew that he was so obedient, that he was so humble, that he could take that gift, and that's the gift that he had till he died. But of course, to protect him from pride, you read his life as I went through it, all the sicknesses that he had, I don't remember many of them, but there were a lot, he suffered a lot, so that God can protect him because he had so many great gifts. But one of them was that his tongue, some disease that he had, that his tongue grew so big in his mouth that he would nearly choke. It was so big. And he had every type of sickness. you can And St. Paul, who had the great gifts of the Holy Spirit, who enlightened, as we know, much of the world for St. Paul and his epistles. And yet... Apart from the three years that we don't even know where he was, somewhere in Damascus, I think. Apart from that, St. Paul, as he says himself, I've been persecuted, starvation, shipwrecks, I've been betrayed, I've been this, 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 whipped. Everything that he went through. And there was one part where he was at the city of, um, who remembers? The city of Damascus? Hmm? Damascus? I'm not sure anyway. He was in a city... And he had to escape. Damascus, is it? Well, anyway, he had to escape, and they put him and they and they put him into a basket and let him down the wall. This great apostle, this miracle worker, the mouth of Christ, as they called him. The church calls him the mouth of Christ. When Saint Paul speaks, it's as if Christ is speaking. Saint Paul, and they had to lower him down, like how much he was in the basket, being lowered down to escape. Saint Athanasius the Great who was the great defender of the incarnation of Christ, that Christ is God against the heretics of Arius, the Arians, and yet he had to run and hide. Why? Because this is what God allows to those who have gifts. Elder Paisios had gifts. Read his life. These, the hernias and the sufferings and the headaches. Remember I told you, I went there once. And I was knocking in the back gate there so I can speak to him. And in those days, being silly, I thought he was making that up because he just wanted to, he didn't want to speak. And I was bashing there on that little, he had a little, like a metal, and, a metal thing. And you hit the other metal, that was the doorbell. And you hit the metal so he can come out. And he goes, I can't speak. And I said, well, I, well, I want to speak to you. And he goes, I've got a headache. And I kind of said to myself, being stupid, I said, oh, he's probably not saying the truth. probably wants just to pray or just And I was insisting, which which was a sin, and he opened up and he helped me and things like that. But now, after reading his life, he suffered from severe headaches, tormenting headaches. And why? This is what God gives to those who he gives his gifts to. 
So this person, he wants to have gifts. Where's his suffering? Where's his humility? Where's his obedience like Elder Porphyrios? So he, um, he said here, I will never be deceived. St. Ignatius says, Branchinov, when someone says that they're, that they're not deceived, then they are deceived. All of us are deceived. Why? As long as we have passions, as long as the passions are active in us, which is the vainglory, the pride, and everything else that's in us, as long as these passions are active in us, the demons use these passions and trick us in certain ways. Now, some of us are deceived a lot, some more, 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 whatever. But the sign of a deceived person, a really severe deceived person, is a person who doesn't believe he's deceived. That's the safest is to, and to believe it. And when you lead a spiritual life and all of a sudden you go, oh, I fell into that, I was tricked there, I didn't know that. I, hit, I was tricked there, oh, this is wrong, that's wrong. And a person begins to say, I am deceived, I'm, I'm deceived all the time. The more we admit that we're deceived, the more then God protects us not to fall into diabolical deception. There's self-deception, again, St Ignatius and Father Seraphim Rose, there's two forms of deception. There's self-deception, which we all have when we think, oh, people are looking at me, I'm good, whatever. This is called self-deception. These are minimal, but still... Still have to fight them. That's called self-deception, which comes from conceit, vainglory, self-love, self-esteem, and all these things. Uh, self-confidence. That's self-deception. Then, when it progresses and it goes bad, which is what's happened to these people, it becomes diabolical deception. That's when the demons manifest themselves, and it's really a very serious thing. So. Uh, he wanted to perform miracles. And Elder Paiso said that clearly. We don't seek these things. And I tell you, I read the other day that even those saints who were given true miracle work in gifts, they were given, they really had them, they would pray to God to take it away from them. Now, this is, you see what I mean? This is where we read, when we read these other accounts, these, a lot of these people welcomed miracle working. But our saints who had miracle working, a lot of times would say, take it away, take it away. And sometimes God would, but other times God wouldn't because he wanted them to have it for the sake of whatever. He was for the, to help people and things like that. But because God saw his humility, then that person's protected even more from diabolical deception, even though he had great gifts. Your desire, said the abbot, is beyond your power. Be on your guard in case, having been lifted up in pride, you will fall. I, on the other, I, on the contrary, order you to serve the brethren. Again, see this thing, serve the brethren. Serve your brothers in Christ. And you will receive a crown from God for your obedience. Nikita, drawn by the strongest zeal, but as I said in the beginning, zeal without knowledge, because not all zeal is good, he wanted the life of a recluse. He wanted to live that life. And he didn't want to listen to the abbot, which has already was said that before. That's already the mark that something's wrong. He carried out what he had set his mind on. He shut himself up in reclusion and continued praying without ever going out. There are orthodox people who do that too, by the way, who hardly go out and live on their own at home, a lot of them, and just say, I don't want to go out much. And this, uh, when 
They can go and visit people at nursing homes and do There's a lot of work they can do. But they want to stay home and pray. If it's from God, then do it. But if it's not from God, then they, those people fall into diabolical deception. After some time, once when he was praying, he heard a voice praying with him and he smelt an extraordinary fragrance. What does this show? That the devil can make bad smells, which is usually smells like sulphur, you know, the rotten egg gas, stuff like that. That's the usual smell of him. But there's also, he can make nice smells. Deceived by this, he said to himself, if this was not an angel, see the logic, he would not have prayed with me and there would not have been the fragrance of the Holy Spirit. Nikita began to pray earnestly, saying, Lord, show yourself to me that I may see you. The progress. Now he wanted to see Christ. When the saints said, I don't want to see Christ. Not here. I'll see him in the next life. I don't want to see him here because they don't want to fall into deception. Then there was a voice which said to him, I will not appear to you because you are young just in case you fall into pride and fall down. So, the demons, as we saw in his, in, in his conversation, Satan with Christ on the mount, where there was a dialogue going on, where the demon would use a quote from the Old Testament and Christ would quote back, etc. The demons, as I've said before, know the Bible quite well. And they know the humble words. They know what to say. And that's why if we don't have knowledge of our vainglory and pride, then we will believe these things as well. And look what he said. I will not appear to you because you're young in the, in the faith, you're young spiritually, and you might fall into pride. See? Beautiful, classical, spiritual words. But from the devil. The recluse replied with tears, Lord, I will never be deluded because the abbot taught me not to fall into demonic delusion, but I will do all that you order me. Now he's using the abbot and saying the abbot taught me, but the abbot also told him not to go there. So it's selective. So it's called, I call that selective obedience. We're obedient to our spiritual fathers in that, but if we don't like that, we won't do it. See, that's called selective obedience. And obviously he had selective obedience, but he said, I will do whatever you order me. Well, why didn't he do whatever the abbot told him? Now all of a sudden he's Mr. Obedient, you see? Then having obtained power over him, like people that join cults and things, they become extremely obedient. Like hardly no one's obedient to the orthodox priests because the devil knows that it's um, distasteful to him, obedience. It's just he knows he'll lose souls. So that's why there's a lot of rebellion. People don't listen much to the advice of their priests. But they join a cult or some other mad group, all of a sudden they're obedient to the point that the other 900 in Jonestown down there with Jim Jones committed suicide because he told them to, for political reasons, crazy. And the others that join other cults, they're obedient. People that used to be really rough and well, they all of a sudden they have this enlightenment or something... And they become under these people and whatever the people, the gurus say or whatever, they tell them, they're obedient. Some run to, to India and they, they do whatever the guru says. But when they come to the Orthodox Church later on, they say, I can't be obedient. Yeah, of course. Because the demons 
helped you to be obedient there, but here they're not allowing you to be obedient. You've got to struggle. True obedience is struggle. Like what I said before, a woman's to be obedient to her husband or whatever. That's spitting blood. What do you think? It's going to be easy for someone to be obedient. No, it's not. You've got to spit blood. What does spit blood mean? It means it's so hard to be obedient because we are possessed by pride. That's where it becomes a spiritual struggle. And vice versa, all. You know, men have to be obedient to other things. There's a lot of obedience. We've talked about this in other talks. Um, then having a... And having obtained power over him, the soul-destroying snake said, it is impossible for a man while yet in the flesh to see me. But look, I'm sending my angel to stay with you, carry out his will. Again, spiritual, you know, all quote, you can't see God, it's impossible because you're still in your body, you can't see God, but then it's as if God's speaking, I will send you my angel. With these words, a demon in the form of an angel appeared to the, the ascetic, Nikita fell at his feet and worshipped him as an angel. The demon said, from now on, do not pray, but read books only. In this way, you will enter into constant communion with God and will receive the power to give beneficial teaching to those who come to you. And I will unceasingly pray to the creator for your salvation. This here is a, something that happens to a lot of Orthodox Christians. After a while, because prayer is the hardest, we've said that. When I went to Mount Athos, they said, when we, went, we had some talks there with people, would be before, before I was a priest, you know, some monastery, they take you there and they sit down, they give you some advice to a lot, to a, the pilgrims, and the, and the monks said, the most difficult thing to do is prayer. And I read it the other day as well from the Holy Fathers. He said, it's easier for a person to go and dig in the heat on the road all day, that's easier, digging. That's, which is hard, in the sun. That's easier than prayer. Because a lot of people do that work, labourers, or people do a lot of work. But I tell you, hardly no one prays. And that's, and that's what happens. But what the devil tells you, the devil doesn't appear to us, because we, well, hopefully, he doesn't appear to us as an angel and say, stop reading. He comes to us how? In our, what? Thoughts, that's correct. So he comes in our thoughts and he says, well, you know, read a book, or if you read a book, that can substitute prayer for the day. And then read this, and read that, and read this, and all of a sudden you're really reading the book and you feel really good about it, and then the demons say more and more, see, this is good, this is spiritual. Some people read, they say to you, and some people pray. Well, you're going to read more. So th this is what basically happens. A lot of Orthodox Christians will read, but they won't pray. But let's see what happens then. In this way, you will enter into constant communion with God. And that's what people believe. When they read the books, they go, oh, but I feel great grace in me. This is pleasing to God because I feel good when I read. But when I pray, I become terrorised. Or when I pray, I find it difficult. So I'll just read more. Same thing, isn't it, really? And then the demon said to him, and now that you're reading only, you're actually learning a lot, you can inspire people and teach people. Teach people. Teach people, I'm saying this, teach people without prayer. How can anyone teach anyone without prayer? That's demonic. That's Satanism. Even if the person is saying, 
orthodox instruction, but the person is not praying and asking God for help and leading some type of spiritual life, at the end, that person will begin to teach heresies and blasphemies. But in the beginning, the devil tells him to say good things. The recluse believed these words and was still further deceived. He stopped praying and occupied himself with reading. He saw the demon constantly praying and rejoiced, supposing that an angel was praying for him. So this, this person thought that while he's reading spiritual books, the angel was praying for him. I'll give you a little secret. People have said, uh, my, my uncle, he's a monk, man, Athos. He's praying for me. Or my sister's become a nun. Or oh, my uh, cousin's a priest. He prays for me. Or I, the priest is my friend. He prays for me. Or, or I have contact with that monastery. Or the monastics pray for me, etc., etc., etc. It's like that. And slowly, slowly, the demons say, they're praying for you. They're praying for you. And slowly, slowly, what the person does is he stops, he stops praying because he believes that, that at least they're praying for him. It doesn't work. A person who denies prayer is denying their salvation, the Father say. If a person does not pray, it's as if he's saying to God, I don't want salvation. That's not my words. That's what the Holy Father say. So he stopped praying and he thought the demon was praying for him, just like we think that, you know. I've had people who used to come to me and slowly, slowly they stopped praying. I couldn't understand why. And why? It's because they just thought to themselves, oh, he's praying for me. Oh, he does the service. He'll pray for me. He'll pray for my family. So what I do is if a person comes to me and says, oh, can you pray for my family? I say, no. Did you pray? He goes, no, I'm not praying for your family. You pray first, then you come back and tell me that you've prayed. Isn't that a, a horrible priest? Hmm? I actually say to the person, I'm not praying. Pray for my, they say, oh, can you pray for my wife? You know, she's finding it hard to take care of the children. Oh, is she? Okay. Have you prayed? What have you done? What, have you done an akathist? Have you done a maleban? What have you done? He goes, nothing. I'm not doing anything either. Not, not nothing. That's, that's not right. For beginners, Yes. For people that are coming into the church, they ask for prayers, yes. But not when someone's been in the church for a few years and they're just sitting there like um, the Statue of Liberty and just saying, can you pray for me? Can you pray for my family? Then he began to talk much from Scripture to those who came to him and to prophesy like the recluse from Palestine. That was the first example that I read. So he also began to teach and to also tell people things that are going to happen in the future. So, see... First was the preaching, doing the, you know, God's talk, doing talks, whatever he was doing. And then it goes on to the next level, which is the telling people the future. Just like the guy in Melbourne who was doing talks to help all the young. And slowly, slowly, what happened to him? He became a defender of the Coptics and saying that the Coptics are a church. But the Coptics don't recognise the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th Ecumenical Council. They don't, they don't recognise it. And you know what? They refuse and they won't. And as long as they don't recognise it, they will never join to the Orthodox Church. 
You can say they're pious, they're nice, they're this, they're spiritual, they fast, whatever. It doesn't matter. That's between them and God. But to join to the Orthodox Church, to the one holy Catholic apostolic church, they will never join until they recognise those ecumenical councils, which they have not done, and it doesn't look like they want to do it, unless some miracle occurs. Uh, his fame, just like, we, just like the other person, his fame spread among worldly people and reached the Grand Prince's court at that time. Actually, now the writer saying, he did not prophesy, but he told those who came to him where stolen goods had been put or where something had happened in a distant land, obtaining his information from the demon who attended him. All information that this recluse was saying was from the demons. Thus he told the Grand Prince about a murder of Prince Gleb of Novgorod or something that happened far away and then well, there was no telephones on in those days. And months later when he received the news, the prince said, oh, this is true. He, or whoever, whoever it was, it's true. He must have gifts from God because he knew what happened far away. Just like the deacon in the last week who knew that his mum died uh, and he was in Manathos but there was no telephones in those days and he knew... He knew that his mum died on the same day that she died, but no news came from Romania. He was from Romania. Then Father Sabas worked out that he was being deluded. This was sufficient. This is important. This was sufficient for worldly people to hail the, rec the recluse as a prophet. Worldly people. Orthodox people who don't lead spiritual lives, who get tricked and said, he must be a prophet from God because he's, he's doing these miracles. It's observable, says St. Ignatius Branchinov, that worldly people and even monks without spiritual discernment are nearly always attracted by deceivers, imposters, hypocrites and those who are in demonic delusion and they take them for saints and genuine servants of God, St. Ignatius says. A person who's not leading a spiritual life, a person who does not study the Holy Fathers, a person who's not cultivating humility, obedience, repentance, will always believe that these things are from God. That's what St. Ignatius is saying. No one could compare with Nikita for knowledge of the Old Testament. He was fantastic. He had fantastic knowledge of the Old Testament. But he could not bear the New Testament. He never took his talks from the Gospels or the Apostolic Epistles and would not allow any of his visitors to mention anything from the New Testament. What did I say before? In the beginning it's nice things, but slowly, slowly the blasphemy, the heresy starts to come out. And this is where he was led. He wouldn't read the New Testament. He wouldn't speak about the New Testament. And when anyone came, he says, don't speak about the New Testament. They... Um, at that time, there were many holy monks and um, they realised that he had fallen into deception, that he was being deceived by a demon because of, because of that. That was obvious because he didn't want to touch the New Testament. At that time, there were many holy monks blessed with spiritual gifts and graces in the monastery. They drove the devil from Nikita by their prayer. Nikita stopped seeing it, stopped seeing the demons. The fathers brought Nikita out of, the, of reclusion and asked him to tell them something out of the Old Testament. But he affirmed with an oath that he had never read those books which he previously knew by heart. That is just amazing. He actually, when, after they took him out of the, the delusion, 
and, the, and through the prayers of the Holy Fathers, they shoot away the demons. They said to him, tell us something from the Old Testament. He goes, I don't know anything. He goes, I never read the Old Testament. In other words, he wasn't even reading. They were telling him. They were inspiring him. Exactly what St. John of the Latter says. But he affirmed with the note that he had never read those books which he used to know off by heart and he used to preach to people. It turned out that he even forgot how to read. So great was the influence of the satanic delusion. And it was only with great difficulty that he learned to read again. Through the prayers of the Holy Fathers, he was brought to himself. He acknowledged and confessed his sin. He cried with bitter tears and he obtained a high degree of sanctity and the gift of miracle working by a humble life among the brethren. Subsequently, St. Nikita was consecrated as Bishop of Novgorod. So, George, from that, from those three, and all of us, from those just three lives of saints that we read today, a lot was learnt. And there's much more to go. Next talk in six weeks' time, August the 29th, the day after the Domitian of the Old Calendar, which we're going to sing the burial hymns, and you should come. It's very nice. Come early. The next talk, we're going to actually read examples of saints who didn't fall into deception. We will see their humility. We have to see and look at not only the saints that fell into deception, but those who didn't fall into deception because they were careful, those who didn't want gifts, those, for example, who once there was a holy man walking along with um, another of one of the fathers, a novice or something, and he saw a, they saw a snake, and the young man and the, and the father, the holy father, they jumped to the side so the snake won't bite them. It's in the prologue of St. Nikolai, which is a wonderful book, one of the best books. There's four volumes, or divided into two volumes, to read them every day. Oh, Father Nicholas is a firm believer that the prologue gives you little things of the Bible, everything. It's got lives of saints. It's, it's good to read every day. It's got uh, three pages per day. And I know Orthodox Christians who do that. They practice every day to read that. It's wonderful. Anyway, in the prologue it says there that the two were walking, they jumped, and the younger monk said to the Holy Father, Are you scared also, Father? Are you scared of the snake as well? He goes, no, I'm not, but I did that because if I didn't, then you would praise me and then I'd become proud. So that was just an example. So when we read about these people seeing visions and all this type of stuff, we start getting an idea to say, wait a second, this sounds like pride. Once we understand what is humility, once we understand how the saints did not do public miracles... And, and rarely do we read about saints doing these fantastic things of lights and suns falling down and all these things. Once we understand that, then we're ready to go ahead to start doing the other talks on the charismatics and the Eastern religions and all these things so we can actually start to understand. Some of you say, well, I'm not involved in that. But you may become involved. If you haven't got a knowledge... If you see a miracle, you might say, orthodox is not right. Do you know how many people that I know that have actually gone? And they go, oh, I've become Protestant. Oh, I go to, um, what's those Hulus called? What are they called? The... Hillsong. Hillsong. Some go there. 
And, and, and there was a fellow that, that rang me up and said, look, a friend of his became, he's gone to the um, Protestants, some other group, I don't know, because he said that they got love. And he went there and I said to him, I gave him one of the books at the back by St. Theophan the Recluse on preaching another Christ, which talks about that all because Protestants preach about Christ, it doesn't mean that they're the church. So I sent that book to this fellow and I said, give your friend that. And uh, he said, oh, he won't read that. I go, you just give it to him and leave it to God. Just give it to him. So he gave him the book and he rang me up the other day and he said, you know what? I gave the book, must be something because he's starting to speak now positive about the Orthodox Church, while before it was all negative. But anyway, a lot of people do leave because they don't know their faith. Okay. Thanks God that we finally um, got through that. I had another couple of examples, but we haven't got time. Any questions on the topic? On the topic. Yes. So I can't hear. What happened to critical thinking in those times when they decided to try to overtake Lisa? What happened to critical thinking? I'm not sure what you're... Qu- what, what, what? I was just thinking when they all decided to, they wanted to do their own miracles and they wanted special powers. I just wonder if they already... Critical thinking doesn't help. It helps to a certain degree. We need to be spiritually thinking. That what, you see, we have... Because we are in the fallen nature, it is through critical thinking, one can say, that we have feminism, that we have same-sex marriages now, that we have that, we have, we have, we have, we have. All that comes because they've got logic, they're using their critical thinking, working things out, but it's not according to God because they're not thinking in a spiritual way and that's where the mess occurs. God, yes, we, we do have our logic. Saint Elder Paisio says that. We have our logic. And obviously, we are using our minds to comprehend. I had to use my mind, I had to use my logic to some degree to explain all this, to put it together. It doesn't just come out like that. But, but at the same time, we need to have some spiritual understanding which comes from God to be able to, put, to understand it in a spiritual way. So it's the mind, the, like I've got people that actually say, but I can't work it out, I can't work it out. You can't work it out with your head. It comes with the heart as well. It comes through faith. It comes through enlightenment. If that's the case, then we have a lot of people who are masters of critical thinking. But they're still unbelievers. And they come to conclusions which are ridiculous. Some of them think, what, that there's UFOs and others believe, I don't know what they believe, all these type of things. So yes, we have a mind. God's given us intelligence. We use that intelligence in conjunction with his grace. Without his grace, then we will become little devils. Without humility, we are devils. Without repentance, we are devils. All right? I'm not being rude to you. I'm just answering your question. It was a good question. Your name? Oh, it's Andrew, isn't it? Andrew. Yes. Yep. Um, when you mentioned that, that um, demons can't see ahead of time and stuff, maybe I'll probably laugh at this, um, with the World Cup, they had the octopus that moved, that picked. Ah, the octopus, yeah. Did you get it? But didn't you get something wrong at the end? No, 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 they got, they got, no they got it all right. Got it all right. So how did something like that work? Well, maybe we can say, as someone said, they're coincidence, but um, I don't, um, you know, there's a 
Greeks say this, I don't know if Russians and others say it, they say that the dogs know when someone's going to die. So, for example, if someone's going to die, then all of a sudden they start howling in the night, right? And, um, which is superstition. But the point is that a lot of times they do howl and someone dies. Uh, how do they know? Well, because uh, another thing as well is when people uh, 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 witness UFOs, at the time that they're appearing, when someone's seen, all of a sudden a lot of the dogs in the area will start howling, but they can't see the UFO. So they're howling as well. And we know from the interpretation of the fathers that a lunatic is what, what they say is a person who goes crazy when the full moon, we said that last time I think, it comes from the word luna, from the moon, not lunar park. And it says there, the Holy Fathers say, that the demons are making the person to go crazy during that time so people can think that the moon governs our life. Okay? So I don't think it's, in this case, I don't know whether this was a con job where they had a bit of, um, you know, special um, octopus food in that box and he just went in there. Um, you know, or there's some, you know, you know, because a lot of there's a lot of cons going on, or if it's not from that, then it just is d- demonic. Where the demons can make some, the, the demons can do that. It's not not very hard well, for them to make the octopus go there. They can make the dogs howl. Can't they make the octopus go into the box or the glass, whatever it was? So, this is where people. It's a good question. We shouldn't say that we're going to laugh. That's a good question because this is what Orthodox Christians see. And they go, how is that done? There must be some truth that we've been wrong all these years. You can be a clairvoyant elder if you're an octopus as well. Because the octopus is clairvoyant. He knows the future. See? We were wrong. We don't run to Manathos to, to find holy people. We go to the sea and talk to the octopuses. This is not what, you know, you know, you know I'm not putting you down, I'm saying for the example. Uh, is it to do with the dog? In a way, in a way, in the churches, in the What does that show? So you'll be naughty, you didn't come to the other talks. And because you didn't come to the other talks, you missed out on where you explained all this. Yeah. Saint John of the Ladder, and many of our saints say, it was the example of Saint Nectarius, where there was a woman who was possessed. Katharina, if I remember the right the last was that last week? Yep. Yeah. That was last month. And um, 
someone read some prayers over her and then she became peaceful so they thought that the demon had gone away because of the prayers and then the explanation said that they hadn't gone away they were pretending that they've gone away so if i did an exorcism, so i won't put bishop short whatever his name is is, is, that, is that who ken shaw uh whatever yeah that bishop i'm not going to put him down and say that yeah i'll talk about myself if i did an exorcism the demons can say to me, you're burning me, your, your prayers, they're so holy, you're burning me, I can't stand it, and to go, to go. But they're not going. Because, I, because this type comes out with prayer and fasting. Now, do I look like I fast a lot? Do I? What's right? Well, sickness, medications, and this and that. Even though there are some people that are ascetics that are that are actually, Elder Leonard was an ascetic and he was fat and I've met other people that, but that's not my case, for my case it's a different thing, right? I'm a sick person, whatever. But I don't do great fasting, I can't do that. This type comes out with prayer and fasting. So if that came out from, and I, and I did that, but I'm not doing great fasting and prayer, then either I'm going against Christ's commandments, this type comes out with prayer and fasting, and we also re read in those books that you weren't here for the other talks that those people who did, who had the ability to take demons out, had great humility, extreme humility. And the devil hates humility and he goes with humility, right? So. I won't talk about your, that bishop that you're talking about because I'm not going to judge. I'll say from that. The demons have an ability to pretend that they've gone out. They do it continually. They can do it to, to um, Muslims with Korans. They can do it to Orthodox priests if they're proud. They can do it to whoever. The demons come out truly when the person in question is repenting from the depths and is leading a spiritual life and when the person doing the exorcisms is of great holy life who is leading a life of obedience and humility but a very deep life and that's why i said last week again because you weren't last month because you weren't here i said that i've spoken to spiritual people a bishop for example who said i won't do exorcisms because they attack me because i won't do them he goes i get my from the monasteries i get priest monks who live a life of obedience strictly within the monastery. They are very spiritual, but the most important thing is to be obedient, humble, people of prayer. Those people I'll get to do the exorcisms. He says, I won't do it. See? Why? Because they also attack. Did the bishop get attacked later on when he, when he read the exorcism? Did he have a cup of coffee, espresso later and all that? Yes. He had an espresso, as I thought, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. <laughs> But if he, was, if he really did an exorcism, the coffee would have burnt his face. See? Because that's what happens to a lot of people. We read that last time, where a priest did an exorcism and he went home and then all of a sudden, I didn't even read it properly, but it was um, cupboards started falling, everything started smashing, things like that. And another priest went to a house of some people that got mixed up in magic and um, he was doing a holy water and... Um, at the time that he was doing, because they had the demons in the house or something, at the time that he was doing the holy water, uh, 
the light started moving around and the holy water bowl uh, just basically shot up and smashed on the floor. And the, the priest gets attacked. Right? So if I did one and it was proper, I'm telling you, I wouldn't be able to have a coffee like Bishop Short did. Did he enjoy it? <laughs> so, does that answer the question? I think it, that's, I thought it would. So, uh, that's it. My comments not meant to be negative towards you and Andrew, the same with you. I'm, I speak like that to get a point across, not to put you down or to put you down. A bit of humour, a little bit, gets the point across. Serious note, when someone does an exorcism and it's real, they get attacked. And only a person who's humble will be... And even if they don't get attacked physically, they will get attacked through their thoughts of pride. And if a person does not have a high level, a spiritual level to understand pride and things like that, he will fall into deception. That's why a lot of people who did these exorcisms like that later on fell into pride and lost themselves. Okay? So we'll do the... Do the action, Yeah, it is truly me.